It is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I'm Glenn. He's Griffin. I hope you had a lovely weekend. We got a lot to do on the program today. It was a lovely weekend for the birds, obviously. Orioles sweep the Blue Jays. We'll recap it. The Otter, Greg Olson. It was good to see him back on the broadcast this weekend. Working a couple of games. I guess Ben's going to be off for a bit because he's doing... um, the NCAA baseball tournament for ESPN. And so I guess that means it's going to be mostly Palmer. I don't know. Maybe Dave Johnson swings in there for a little bit too. I'm not sure, but Ben will be off for a little while. So it was cool that Greg Olson, I think I saw on Twitter, he said it was just kind of a tryout for him. Greg's great. He's always been great at this. So I hope there's more Greg Olson in our lives, but there'll definitely be more Greg Olson in our life today as he's going to join us, share his thoughts on a couple of dramatic Dramatic wins for the Birds, including yesterday's 8-3 win in 11 innings. Also later on this morning, Saul Cuman, co-owner of National Treasure, former Johns Hopkins lacrosse player, joins us to talk about their win in the Preakness. And it's a Monday, so Jeremy Kahn will join us as well. All of that coming up on the program today. Great to have you. Today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. So, nice weekend. Interesting, obviously. Like, an interesting weekend in which two of the games go to extra innings, and it's funny because... We think back to that Atlanta series where the Orioles lost a couple of dramatic games and we were still like, yeah, but this proves the Orioles belong. And so now it's we're celebrating a sweep like it's an, a declarative statement that the Orioles made this weekend when we all know that you know, there was an amount of fortune that was involved with winning a couple of these games. Still, they won them. I had a moment when I was doing uh, the radio show on Saturday over on 105.7 The Fan where I was like, I can't define why the Orioles are good. I can't do it. I don't even remember how the conversation began. I don't remember who we were talking to. It might have been Caleb Joseph that we were talking to. Like, I can't define what makes the Orioles good. It's not that they're... Like, at the beginning of the year, we said, well, their offense is going to be great. Eh, you know, it's, it's a good offense. Let's not pretend like it's not. I'm not trying to say it's a, you know, it's a mediocre offense or anything like that. Their pitching was dreadful to start the season. Has suddenly come through and been good, but I think we would all say that they would need more. Obviously, the two guys at the back end of the bullpen are significant, but aside from those two guys, going into yesterday, I think we had a fair amount of questions about just about everybody else. It's hard to define it. It's hard to explain why the Orioles are the second-best team in all of baseball. But they are. And what yesterday felt like, and what this weekend felt like, To me, anyway, and I'm writing about it today at PressBoxOnline.com, so as always, I beg you to go read the column anyway. Just at least give it a old clicky-click. That's all I need. If you don't, you know, if you don't linger, that's fine. Just a nice click. Helps pay for diapers. Well, actually, I don't need diapers anymore. Well, maybe for me. I know, right for you. My diapers in about uh, 15 years at this point, it feels like. Um, Two two days, maybe? Yeah, (laughs) might be. So, it, it felt like this kind of got real this weekend. You can use the term statement if you'd like. And I, I'm fine with that. 
but it it felt like things really got real. And it's a continuation of everything that's happened since May 5th. May 5th was when the stretch started that the Orioles began playing this brutal schedule that we all looked at. Remember, mid to late April, we started looking ahead, and we saw that trip to Atlanta and everything that followed that trip to Atlanta. And we say, well, th- you know, this is fun, but boy, things are going to get tough. And there's 16 games into that stretch. It's not over. They have, obviously, they go to New York this week, and then they get the Rangers, who are in first place, at home this weekend. Their next game against a team sub-500, at least of, as of the moment, is Cleveland next week. Cleveland team we all thought was going to be pretty good, just hasn't been. So far, 16 games into the stretch, they're now 10-6. and six. And they've left... You know, they've left a little meat on the bone, right? Like, they obviously, the thing last Thursday is infuriating. Infuriating. Because they should have won that series against the Angels, too. But they're 10-6. and six. As long as they... They're going to finish this stretch over 500 unless they lose all six games. Let me do that math again. I guess if they were one in five, they'd be exactly 500. Anything within reason, they're going to finish above 500 in this stretch. It's feeling like there has been, again, you call it a statement, a, a leveling up of sorts. Going into the year, I think most of us believe that the proverbial national media, the odds makers, were being unfair towards the Orioles. We're being disrespectful, if you will. Use whatever dumb internet term you want to use to describe it. Jerks. Sure, but that's not a dumb internet term. I, I, whatever, I, I don't even know what the kids would use to describe this. But when their win total was back below what it was a year ago, and when the expectation nationally was that the Orioles would, would regress this season... We all kind of looked at ourselves like, why? Why do you think that? Full season of Gunnar Henderson, full season of Adley Rutschman, you know, whatever you're going to get out of Grayson Rodriguez. Even if you're not enamored with what they did, there was, they certainly didn't seem to regress personnel wise anywhere. They appeared to improve with their backup catcher, they appeared to at least replace adequately Jordan Lyles and Rugnet Odor. I I don't think we got, we kind of we were like what what like why why do you guys think there's going to be this regression this season plus there's still more talent likely to come now of course we didn't know what Yanir Cano was going to be but it didn't make sense to us and, of course, as of right now, we were right. Now, look, it's a long season. Let's not, you know, you can probably cash in those tickets and do well and make some money for yourself if you bet the over on the win total. But it's not a guarantee. Long season to go. And baseball is a humbling sport where in your highest of your highs, you can turn around two days later and feel, you know, in the lowest of your lows. But it creates this really interesting scenario where I don't think even we expected this. Even those of us that thought that that was unfair or unreasonable, these preseason projections, I don't think we thought this was where they would be. 
second best record in all of baseball, now just two and a half games out of the team that we all thought was going to run away and hide in the AL East, the team that appeared unbeatable. The Orioles are back within two and a half games of the AL East. Anything is on the table as of today. To me, that's the story of what happened this weekend, is things got real. If you're going and sweeping the Blue Jays in Toronto, and I get it, the Blue Jays haven't fully clicked the way that people thought they might going into the season, but let's not pretend... Let, let's not. They were the, six games over 500 entering the series. It's like, not only that. Let's not pretend like the talent isn't still there. Let's not pretend. Let's not do the bit where it's the thing that now all of a sudden you're seeing like people do with the Lakers and the Celtics right now because they're down 3-0. Let's not just because the results haven't been good like this week they weren't good for the Blue Jays. Let's not pretend like that makes the Blue Jays scrubs. You don't go on the road and sweep good baseball teams very often. That doesn't happen for anyone at any level. It is very rare for a good baseball team to be swept at home. It feels very, again, statement, use whatever word you want to use. Things, to me, got real this week. And some of these conversations that we've had that were on the periphery, Jordan Westberg, Colton Kowser, trade deadline, things like that. All of a sudden, some of those things start to feel even more pressing. Because all of a sudden, you go from, well, this is a fun season, and I could forgive what the Orioles did in the offseason. I said it a few times. Did I want them to go get Carlos Rodon? Of course I did. Did I want them to do better than what they did? Yes. But did I understand the thought process of, hey, but we've got a bunch of players we're trying to get definitive answers about? Yeah, I kind of got that too. And for the record, one of those guys that I think you needed a definitive answer about, I know we're only a month and a half into the season, I, or whatever we are at this point, almost two months. I don't care. You've got a definitive answer on Cedric Mullins. I told you that a week ago. It's time. Commit. Sign him. Extend Cedric Mullins. At very least, play him every day. Well, I don't think that's way to give him a day off. I mean, I mean guys are allowed I, to have a day off. I, don't, I wouldn't have done it against a lefty, don't get me wrong, but I think guys are allowed to have a day off. S- sign Cedric Mullins. The, the heart and soul, man. Sign Cedric Mullins. I've gotten one of those answers. There are still guys I don't know definitively. Like I can't tell you how I feel definitively about Anthony Santander as far as his picture in the Orioles going from this being a fun and neat story to being a championship roster. I still don't know what Anthony Santander's role is. I still don't really know what Austin Hayes' role is in all of that. Those are two guys that I'm still confused about. I'm leaning towards the idea that we might, unfortunately, be getting our answer with Jorge Mateo. Again, it's a long season, and he could still bounce back, but it looks more and more like the Mateo answer is probably no. Mountcastle's obviously a tricky one because there is value there, and you do need a threatening home run bat in the middle of the order, but he does, he there's just so much. I think you could survive having one Ryan Mountcastle in your lineup. I don't think that you can have both Mountcastle and Santander in your lineup to compete for a World Series. I, I, I think you have to have a more definitive... I say that maybe you can maybe I'm maybe I'm making statements. I would question both of them being everyday players for a championship caliber team. 
I think that one of those spots has to be for a more consistent bat. I think you could live with one of with with the other one being there, but I think you might need anyway. The point being, I could understand going into this season and saying, "Hey, we've got to get definitive answers on some of these guys." Now it's almost like I'm feeling you have to speed up a little bit. And I know we've said that a bunch of times during this process, but my God, you're in the situation that you're in. You have a legitimate chance to win the AL East this season, which is nuts considering, you know, it's the best division in baseball and maybe in the history of baseball. There was a Honestly. Great, there was a run differential going around yesterday. The entire AL East is like plus 200, 225 runs. The next closest division is like plus 13 runs. It might be the best division in the history of the sport. I mean, we'll see again. It's very early in the season still. It's a bigger sample size, but it's still, you know, big picture, a little bit more than a quarter of a season. Approaching a third of the season. It starts to feel real. It starts to feel like you've got to start making decisions that are legitimately going to impact your ability to win a World Series in the coming years. Jordan Westberg is knocking on the door, but does Jordan Westberg really have a long-term home in Baltimore, it's a good problem to have, and we keep saying that over and over again. Every time we have one of these conversations, Jim Callis comes on last Friday. Well, these are good problems to have, Jim, but they are still problems to have. And at some point, it there's a transition. I don't know. Remember when the Cubs won the World Series and it felt like they might have actually won it early? It felt like maybe they were going to have a bunch more opportunities. Like that nucleus was just starting to Hobby come together. Baez, Chris Bryant, very Schwarber, young. obviously yeah. Rizzo, of course. Like it felt like that was a group that was going to be a threat to win a World Series for the next five years. And that's why it felt like if even if they had lost that World Series, what had been crushing to the folks in Chicago, there was a window that was going to extend for some time. Well, as it turns out, that was their window. And I'm not trying to suggest that this year will prove to be the Orioles' window. I don't think that's the case. But you just never know. You never know when in whatever season it happens to come together and it proves to be your best chance. We all think the Orioles would need, I've said all along, I think the profile of winning a World Series is two legitimate top-of-the-rotation types of pitchers. And right now, that's my biggest separating factor in why I don't think the Orioles can win the World Series. But should should they be saying, hey, we've got everything else? It's time. We need to go out now, get those guys, give, our, give ourselves that chance. Well, who are you giving up on right now in this rotation? My buddy Steve Johnson, of course, former Orioles pitcher, um, he and I were texting, and I ended up quoting him in the, uh, it's the column that I wrote today at PressBoxOnline.com. But I thought his point was fair, which is, you know, these young pitchers are battling their asses off. You tell me right now which of these guys you're casting aside. You're saying you're definitively not part of this. Bradish? Wells? Kramer, who suddenly is your best starting pitcher? I guess the only argument to Kramer would be, like, you didn't get through six yesterday, so... <laughs> but this is the... like I We all agree that, like, you probably have to do better at the top of your rotation, but who are you bailing on? Oh, and by the way, John Means is still set to come back at some point, and you still want to get an answer on D.L. Hall. It's a difficult spot to be in to make these decisions. 
but they all become very real because all of a sudden this isn't a good story. This isn't a surprise. This is a team that legitimately has a chance to do things that haven't happened in a very long time. Almost a decade since they won a division. Obviously, they haven't even you know, been to the ALCS since 2014 when they won the AL East and then clearly haven't been to a World Series since 1983. All of these decisions are far more significant, drastically more significant. And it's no longer a, you know, this is cute or this is a good problem to have, and we can say all those things all we want to say, and I probably still will because it is still a good problem to have. It's a better problem to have than many of the problems that have plagued the Orioles over the years but you can't ignore that they are problems and that you have to deal with them, and they could end up proving to be the difference in your ability, again, to win a World Series in the next year or three. It felt real when I sat down last night. Like, when I sat down last night to start typing, the totality of it really struck me in the face. Something's happening here. It's not just that it's fun. It is fun. God, it's fun. I, I want to go out at all this summer. I don't want you to invite me to anything because it would require me to miss an Orioles game. I was thinking about that because I'm going to see Blink-182 on Friday night. Like I, I'm going to hate it because I'm going to miss the Orioles game. They're going to wear those meh City Connect jerseys. <laughs> What are you talking about? Those I are sick. I don't care about it. I don't care about it. If you want me to be the one to get worked up about it, you're going to be disappointed. I don't care. I'm sorry. It's a gimmick. It's we're, we're, they've, they, they, boy, did they pull it off, though. Baseball really managed. Nike and Major League Baseball really pulled off getting people to care deeply and desperately about this gimmicky thing. God bless them. Good for them. I don't. I don't. I don't care. I'm sorry. They're uninspiring to me. They get it. They try to do it, tell some nice stories when they unveiled them, but I don't care. I I saw um, I saw Arditi uh, going back and forth with Adam Jones about it last night on Twitter, and I'm with Eric. I just win the baseball games. I don't give a rat's ass about this other stuff. Win the baseball games. I I don't want to go. I don't want to do anything other than watch the Orioles. That's how exciting the Orioles are. I want to watch the Orioles. It's fun, yes, but now there's a next level to it where it's serious, where it's not just fun any longer, where now it's real, and now you genuinely have a chance to do something. You genuinely have a chance to take that next step, even if it feels early. And it does. It still feels early. It still feels like not everything is here yet. And I would still, if I was a betting man, believe that Jackson Holiday is as likely to be a part of the Orioles World Series caliber roster as, you know, Jorge Mateo, for example. More likely, perhaps. But that doesn't mean it couldn't play out. It doesn't mean it, this couldn't be the year. Real things are occurring. That was real what happened this weekend. 
That is not easy, man. You recognize it, you enjoy it, you celebrate it, but now you start thinking about how important it is that this team gets these next few decisions right. Because they could prove to be the difference. Fun. I I love fun. The mid-2010s were fun. But what decisions might they have made that have proven to be the difference? It's easier for us in hindsight to say, well, the difference was Manny Machado getting hurt or Chris Davis getting suspended. If not for that. But is it? Were there other moves that they could have made that would have fortified and given them the opportunity to win a World Series? You're here now. It's there. It's all in front of you. All of these decisions become critical because they're within the context of you have a chance. It's, it's here. You see what's here. You see what's coming. You see how real all of it is. And in the margins are moves you're going to have to make in order to make sure you put the correct roster together. This year, next year, 2025, you're swimming in those waters, man. It's fun, but it's real at the same time. I encourage you to go read the column. Pressboxonline.com. It's, I don't have all of the answers. I don't. I still want there to be a world in which you can trade Connor Norby and get a front-line starting pitcher, but I don't think that's going to be the case. You might have to make a more difficult decision like trading a Jordan Westberg. Expert and award-winning A.J. Michaels heating, A.C., plumbing, and home performance will improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. A.C. season is here. New rebates and discounts are available. More at AJMichaels.com. It was uh, great to have our next guest in the booth this weekend for two dramatic wins on Saturday and Sunday for the Birds. Of course, an Orioles legend and also a man who has uh, kicked cancer's ass. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the program the Otter. The great Greg Olson is with us now here on GCR. Greg, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to catch up with you as always. It was great to hear you this weekend. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning. Well, my pleasure. Nice talking to you. Greg, uh, first of all, before we get to anything related to the Orioles, uh, far more important than that, to have you healthy, just how you feeling, how is everything. Uh, it's so glad that you've come out on the other side of this thing, man. Yeah, I am too. Uh, I got done with radiation last week, and I'll find out uh, where we stand here in a couple weeks. I love so I, Hopefully I, good. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll wait with bated uh, breath that official word. Through. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell I lost my voice talking so much all those extra inning games I got lucky enough to call. <laughs> 21 innings over two days. Who had that? I thought we weren't doing those games anymore. I thought that we were getting rid of those. Oh, man. Um, oh, uh, it was fun. You know what? Honestly, uh, I might have gained a little bit more of appreciation for the, the pitch clock. I already gained an appreciation for that watching college baseball all season, but uh, the uh, – college softball rules and guys starting on second base not being a baseball guy i'm not a fan of that but uh certainly was these last two days i heard you joke that you probably wouldn't have handled the pitch clock so well yourself and i thought that was pretty funny because i do remember you were a bit more deliberate in your delivery i was uh well i mean it wasn't delivery it was it was funny because somebody 
on Twitter yesterday, but uh, this random 11th inning against the White Sox, and like I say, as skinny as I was, I looked like it was 90. Okay. And, uh, and it was Frank Thomas and Carlton Fisk, and Carlton, you know, steps out of the box after a foul ball or something, and he's thinking. And every time they show me, I'd be standing on the mound, licking my fingers, looking, looking it up at the people in the upper deck, going, "All right, now what am I going to throw Frank Thomas or Carlton Fisk?" And thinking about what I'm seeing and what their reactions are, and yeah, we were we were pushing the pitch clock. Yeah, I'm I'm actually watching it right now. You are not in a row. <laughs> you are. More- oh no. I'm making the right pitch. I only got two pitches, so you know I I can screw it up. And uh, am, I, am I am I all right with the wind and everything else? Can you hear me good? Yep, absolutely. You're good, no doubt, Greg. So um, no, I was not in any rush whatsoever. Greg, being around this team this weekend, and obviously you knew coming in, this is a good team, right? Like that's been established some time. But this felt a little next level this weekend. And we've used the word statement a little bit that this isn't just a fun story. This isn't just a nice start, something like that. This felt like a weekend where they declared, like, no, we're a legitimate threat to win the AL East. And don't try to describe us as anything other than that. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with uh, fine with that thought process. I thought that they uh, they showed out well. They played well. They, you know, the um, the win on Saturday with O'Hearn going deep. You know, I'm 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 in my bullpen mode of okay, let's save Canelo and Batista, right? And you know, let Irvin finish it out. And those guys will get a day off, and everything will be all right. And, um, and then O'Hearn does that, and you're like, you know, those uh, those spots don't come around very often where you get a team that, that that finds a way to come back and and stays in games and didn't really. I don't know. It's kind of weird. They didn't really feel like they were out of it. But you're just going, man, this is the last spot they got. They're not going to get three runs in the ninth off the motto. And uh, just had a weird feeling. And then the next day you're going, you know, by all stretch of the imagination, they, they should just kind of walk this one out. Bullpen's dead, you know, um, giving, you know, one or two guys a look. And then it's like, wow, and a two, you know, Godman two to one, you're winning and find a way to win that one. So the good teams find a way to win. And then the more they find a way to win, then it starts building confidence and they keep winning. So we'll see if it can keep up. But uh, those two wins were definitely separate in the way they were done and what I was watching. And it was uh, – it's the mark of a, you know, a good team. But I'm, we're sitting here in the middle of May, and I'm not going to throw that at them right now. But good start. Uh, to your point, Greg, like this team doesn't have a top ten offense. This team doesn't have a top ten pitching staff in Major League Baseball, and yet they have the second best record in the game. And I was joking about it on on the radio show the other day. I just said I can't define to you exactly why it is the Orioles are good. The Orioles are good because the Orioles are good. Can can you explain? when it's not just a team that's going to score a billion runs or that's going to be the best pitching staff you've ever seen, why it is, what makes this team so good this season? I think it's just a lot of moving parts. You know, the, uh, the starting pitching staff's 
been been pretty good. I mean, I, I wouldn't say pretty good. Let's go somewhere between pretty good and good. Um, they've been functional. They're getting the job done, They're keeping the team in the games. The offense is good, not pretty good. It's not going to kill you with a bunch of runs, but it can. And it's got some spots where you just look at it and you're going, you know, solid, solid lineup at the top, and some pieces down below that 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 can that can get hot. And you know, the one part you have the, the bullpens, what number two or three. Major League Baseball and ERA, that's a big piece of it because they're coming in and the starters are keeping them in the games. And then bullpen's better than most everybody else's. And, you know, they, they win a tight game. And it becomes, you know, down to a race, down to bullpens. We got a pretty good shot at winning. Uh, there's no question about that. How do you explain this Yanir Cano phenomenon? Like, you, you know, you were a top five pick. Like, everybody knew you were going to be good, Greg Olson. This was a throwaway. This was a guy who, you know, had to sit out of baseball for a little while. How how do you explain what it is that Yanir Cano has become this season? Um, I'd be curious if anybody's talked to him because I haven't seen it. If anybody's talked to him about coming over here, our analytics department, uh, the pitching guys with, with Holt and Holmes, uh, very smart guys that, when I was talking to Darren Holmes, who's a former teammate, he's talking about what they're doing with spins, what they're trying to get out of the spins, what, and it's unique stuff, as far as I know. Um, and a couple of you know, a couple of thoughts are kind of you know what we talked about. I'm going to leave off the record, but a couple of the thoughts were very unique and brilliant and intelligent and you know, something to strive for, but it's hard to get to. And so you just wonder if maybe, you know, Cano came over, got a new look, tinkered with some grips, got some different thought processes, you know, maybe tweaked something so small that, you know, people aren't going to really notice it. And that's the difference between, what, the 11-5 last year and mm-hmm. his point his point four right now. It It really is. You go somewhere else, and you go somewhere new. They talk about getting a fresh start and everything else. Sometimes you get somebody that talks to you, and you can hear what he's saying. That's trying to clean something up, trying to fix something, has a different look, has a different idea. Sometimes it's all it takes. Because his stuff's filthy. So it's kind of hard to believe that in 11-5 ERA, unless uh, he wasn't having that sinker or that change-up action, and maybe some grips got tinkered with. Well, the only thing that we know for sure is that he got rid of one of his arm slots, that he pitched from two different arm slots, and he just dumped, it, literally spring training in this year he dumped one. But that doesn't seem like that alone should be the thing that would take you from, um, you know, not not on the radar to suddenly the most dominant reliever in all of baseball. Um, it's it's incredible. Well, I'll give I'll give you one I'll give you one thought on that, Glenn. Is yeah. you know, you go out and all the people out there that play golf. Sure. And you're out there and you're tinkering and you got a couple of different things that you're trying to do. How good are you? Eh, you know. Very good. I'm not. Yeah, I'm terrible. I'm really, I'm not. If, I, if, I, if I'm not focused on doing one thing yeah. and doing one thing only, and so you go, maybe he cleaned that up because if I got two different arm slots and I'm not that good anyway, 
then maybe those two arm slots are getting conflicting and spins are getting conflicting and okay. really locked in and focused on one piece. And that one piece is really good, but if I'm trying to do multiple looks and multiple things, I'm not that good at them. You know, it might be, uh, that's why you guys didn't always throw sliders and curveballs because, and you certainly don't throw both of them with the same grip. You know, you got to change your grips up. And so it might be something where just conflicting spaces in his head and wasn't locked in on, on exactly what needed to get done. I don't know. No, I, it's it's totally and it's it's a good it I, it makes all the sense in the world. Greg Olson with us here on GCR, of course. After he went two and zero this weekend, so the Orioles are gonna have to rush him back as soon as possible should they lose another game because uh, he's got the good juju working. Um, Greg it, Grayson Rodriguez going into Saturday, there was some you know clamoring, some conversation about whether or not maybe he was pitching for his spot in the rotation because he had struggled a good bit before that. I I don't want to be you know over the top about it because it wasn't like it was the greatest start in baseball history. But given where he was, he really delivered on Saturday, including working out of a huge jam. What did you see from Grayson, and what do you feel like is the difference for him when we know the talent is there in harnessing it and becoming the pitcher that so many people can believe he's capable of being? Well, first of all, everybody needs to kind of walk away from the wedge, take a deep breath, <laughs> a cup of coffee, and just suave a bit. I mean, it's 21, 22. Um, not that concerned. The stuff is really good. He just hadn't figured out. And sometimes you can run run for a little while on stuff in the minor league for a little while. And uh, you don't learn how to pitch behind in the count. By that I mean, you know, that was that was my biggest issue. I got behind in the count too low. I didn't have anything else, and I wish I would have kept my cut fastball from years ago, but I didn't. And so I'm dancing with somebody either 1-0 or 2-0. They're getting a fastball, and it's time to dance. And well, Grayson's been paying the piper when he gets 1-0-2-0 because he comes with a fastball thinking the 98 plays like it has played his whole life, and he's in the big league. So this past Saturday, he threw a lot more cut fastballs behind in the count. Ended up paying the price with Springer. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it a couple times with Springer and then 2-0 on Springer. Springer's like, all right, I've seen that cut fastball. I'm going to sit on it now. And he got hammered. But for the most part, I mean, I like to cut fastball behind in the count. you gotta, you got to mix it up and move it around. You can't do it every pitch, but. That's what I saw was the difference in his game. When he got behind, he could get back in the counts with that cutter. It goes a long way. It goes a significant way. Um, Adley Rutschman, his value, you know, I I know he's been scuffling a bit at the plate over the last couple of weeks, but a lot was made great, you know, and you guys brought it up on the broadcast. Yesterday was the one-year anniversary of his arrival here in Baltimore, and it's remarkable how everything about this franchise has kind of turned from the moment that he arrived, can can you define, even when he's not hitting 300, even when he's not as prodigious offensively as we think he might be capable of and as he's shown in other stretches, how impactful Adley Rutschman has been for this entire team and franchise? You know what? It's really hard for me to say because I, I haven't talked to him. I mean, we, I think we said hello. I haven't sat down and talked to him. Um I wanted to say, and I think the, the 
at bat and everything had moved past the time of me saying it. Uh, like nobody remembered when I came up. I was like, <laughs> dang, that's pretty good. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I was too focused on really on the game and what was going on to talk to a couple people about what he is in the clubhouse. So not quite sure, but I wouldn't, you know, he, he and the arrival of a couple other pieces and a couple of pieces that are really getting going good this year, but he did a lot last year when he came up. So you got to believe there's a little bit of a clubhouse presence, even as young as he is. And uh, I just can't, I can't speak intelligently on it, but it sure seems like, you know, the record over the past year being with Justin, yep. Justin Major League Baseball yep. um, speaks a lot to what he probably is in the clubhouse, which you got a catcher in that spot and a young guy, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun to just watch that continue and watch the clubhouse become a place of, uh, I wanted to say beauty, but it's never beautiful. Um, <laughs> just yeah. a place, a place where, yeah, I mean, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, um, no, no, we're, we're, it's the, 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 at, just, the atmosphere is, it, it's a culture of winning, right? Like that's, it's a, it's the type of place where guys want to be. be and enjoy being around and it, that translates to the field, correct? Yes, absolutely. Yep. That was exactly it. The places that I played where the clubhouse was was just unbelievable and everybody was in sync. All of a sudden, you know, that's where you just get these legendary guys that, you know, Orioles fans love to talk about, but they, you know, they weren't necessarily, you know, even average players, but they, they fit a mold and they fit the clubhouse and, they did their roles and they did their parts and now they're Orioles legends. And so you're going to start seeing more of those guys, the more this clubhouse really syncs up and becomes a place that uh, wants to win, talks about winning, does what it needs to do to win. And um, it's, it's an amazing thing. I've been in a couple of them and it's just so fun to go to the ballpark. It feels like Cedric Mullins is taking his claim as one of those guys right now, Greg. Like, I mean, I, obviously he was unbelievable yesterday, but all of the many things he does for this baseball team, it really feels like Cedric Mullins is moving his name into that conversation. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. What he did yesterday was, uh, I tried to say it in the interview at the end of the game, the, the multiple pitches, multiple swings, found a way to get on base, creates havoc when he's on base. And then the defense, I mean, sadly, he was the second-best outfielder in Toronto this weekend. But Jeez. that's not I saying, mean, yeah. he's, that's not saying yeah. he's, not, he's not in the top five in Major League Baseball. He was just the second-best one there. Right. Second-best yeah. one in Toronto this weekend. Yeah, that dude is nuts, Kiermaier. Uh, Greg, are oh you? Gosh. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? And that guy, all he's ever done is kill the Orioles. He's on that list. Nice to, nice to win a, a few this weekend against that dude. Um, uh, Greg, yeah. I, I know as you're waiting uh, the word after the last radiation, are you going to be doing um, College World Series? Are you going to be doing uh, college baseball for ESPN these next couple weeks? Yeah, I have. Uh, I get sent to Vegas for the West Coast Conference Championship, so I got home about got back here to Alabama about 1 o'clock last night. Me and Customs <laughs> don't get along. Um, <laughs> so just when you called, I was kind of starting to move around. Um I go to Vegas for the West Coast Conference 
Saturday, and then after that, I'll have a regional. I don't know until give or take Monday. Okay. And then I'll have a super super regional after that, and then done for the. I don't do the College World Series, so okay. I'll be done after that for a little while. Well, it'd be neat if it worked out that you get where Maryland's headed because uh, they're headed back to the NCAA tournament after winning the Big Ten. That would be really cool if it worked out that way. That Ho- would be. Hopefully. We'll be hearing you in the booth again at some point before too long. At Greg Olson 30 on Twitter is how you follow him. Greg, it was a lot of fun. You you and Kevin had a good thing going this weekend. It made for really good television. Oh, he's when I got to get play by play like Kevin, it's uh, it's easy. All yeah, I do he's... is sit there and watch the game and go blah. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, he's really good. Greg, I'll give you my highest compliment. You're really good at going blah. All right, <laughs> it's you're really good at that, I man. Appreciate that. Hey, it was a lot of fun. Thank I you. Appreciate for... that. I use... Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for hopping on. We'll talk soon. My pleasure. All right? I enjoyed it, Glenn. Thanks, Greg. All right. Take care. The Otter, Greg Olson, with us here on GCR. Uh, I really did. I enjoyed he and Kevin together this weekend. You know, look, we, we've, we're so spoiled with Kevin and Ben. We just, we've gone from Thorne and Palmer, which was just joy, utter and complete joy. And it, look, Palmer and Kevin are still good together, but I don't think they have quite the same thing that Kevin and Ben have together or that Palmer had with Thorne. And it might just be an age thing. I don't know what it is, but like Palmer and Thorne were unbelievable. And we're seeing it now again with Kevin and Ben. And it's not easy as a play-by-play guy when you work with somebody you haven't worked with a ton to immediately create a chemistry that translates on the air. But I felt something this weekend with Kevin and Greg. It felt like they were working together and they were having fun. And, of course, we're having fun watching the Orioles right now, so we want it to feel like the broadcasters are having fun. I thought it was a good pairing. I enjoyed it. I hope we get more of it at some point. Um, Really enjoyed having the uh, the Otter on the broadcast from Aston this weekend. Um, there was another, I'm trying to think of, there was something that he brought up in the course of the conversation and I, it, it made me reflect on another feeling that I had this weekend and I've already forgotten exactly what it was. So we were talking a lot about, you know, obviously we did a lot of the Adley Rutschman coverage and I, you know, I know exactly what it was. So yesterday, one of the topics that we were debating on the radio show was where does Adley's first year rank among the most impactful first years of anyone in Baltimore sports history and we said modern sports history because I don't know how to compare it to Wes Unseld winning rookie of the year and MVP in the same season I I can't possibly give that any context so I you know I I got to cut it off at like 40 years or so in order to have any ability to give it context and it ended up sort of devolving into a debate about you know, Adley versus Lamar, whose first year was more impactful. And it's a fair debate because, like, Lamar didn't play a lot for the first half of his first season, but then suddenly had this kind of overwhelming second half of the first season, might have saved people's jobs in the process. But the Ravens, their down period was not nearly the same as the Orioles' down period. The Ravens' down period was missing out on the playoffs in the last game of the season. That was their down period. Those were their troubled years. The Orioles' troubled years were the games didn't matter starting on game one of the season. 
And I don't know what the correct answer is, but we had a fun conversation. But I had a lot of people reach out, some of whom brought up, is it weird this year specifically that at the beginning of the year when Adley Rutschman was you know, knocking the cover off the ball, was lighting the world on fire offensively, the starting pitching stunk. And now all of a sudden, the starting pitching is turned around, but Adley Rutschman is scuffling at the plate. Is it odd? Is there a correlation between the two things? Hmm. Obviously, I have no idea. Nor do I think that, that it's even a a reasonable inference to make. I don't I don't know. Is your suggestion that Adley Rutschman went from focusing entirely on what he was doing at the plate to suddenly focusing entirely on helping the pitching staff and sacrifice what he was doing at the plate? I, I think that's far too simplistic. Which is more valuable? I don't know. That's the difficult part. People that I, you know, we had a, a caller who pointed out, hey, we're talking about Adley Rutschman being the most impactful guy. Let's not pretend like he's a 300 hitter. Let's not pretend like he's an MVP. I, I, I understand what you're saying. I get it. I do. But I think we understand that his value goes far beyond that because on paper, n- nothing should work with Orioles starting pitching dating back to last May. On paper, there's no way that Dean Kramer and Tyler Wells and Austin Voth and insert name here should be giving you a pitching staff that makes you capable of having the second-best record in baseball. That doesn't make sense. So we feel as though a significant part of that has to do with Adley Rutschman. But can we define it? Can we put a statistic to it? We can bring up pitch framing. But I don't know that there's a statistic that... I don't know how we could say what would it look like if Robinson Chirinos was still behind the plate or if James McCann was the full-time catcher. I don't know. It makes it so hard to define. It makes it so hard to fully understand his value. But we... The sheer... The smallest part of it is this was a moribund franchise... Then Adley Rutschman got here, and suddenly winning came right behind him. That doesn't take anything away from the role that... I, I can't say enough about Cedric Mullins, man. I can't say enough about him. Sign the man. Matt Torp and I are going back and forth about it. Even if at some point you decide that you need to put Colton Kowser in center field because you... The, I, I, Paul Valley was getting crap from people on, uh, on online yesterday because he pointed out in the bottom of the 10th that the only frustrating part about Cedric is that if there's a single to center field with a runner on second base, that runner's scoring. Nobody is going to be afraid to run on Cedric Mullins, and his arm isn't strong enough to get anybody out at the plate. And I understand that. My argument is that the overwhelming totality of the other things that he does more than makes up for it. Clearly, yesterday, he was the best player on the field. I mean, it was... It was incredible how good he was, even though he did get thrown out trying to to steal second base, and yeah. I didn't I didn't see that I, coming. I didn't, yeah, yeah, I didn't see that happening against against Kirk. It was weird. I, I, it was a bad. I don't know what the, the feet first slide. I don't know what that was. That was a very weird uh, for a hell of a day. It was a very strange thing to happen where a feet first keep pop his, up keep slide his back up. So yeah, it was easier to tag. I guess I don't know. It was weird. It was, weird. It was really weird. 
I mean, maybe he thought he had the base stolen by so much that he was just sort of like, well, I'll go in easily, and all of a sudden, not the case. Um, but the totality is overwhelming. But I don't think Cedric Mullins... Cedric Mullins was here. Cedric Mullins was having a 30-30 season, and it didn't make the Orioles relevant or interesting. Hadley Rutschman's arrival... It coincides with it, so we're always going to think about it in those terms, even if we can't statistically define it. Hour number one of today's program, also brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. PressBox is offering new sports bettors the best sign-up bonuses and promos from seven legal online sports books. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers right now and get offers like $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after placing your first $10 bet or up to $1,250 in bonus bets from Caesars. Time is limited to get the best offers from all of these sports books. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers and sign up today. When we come back in, we'll touch on a couple of other things from the weekend. And then Saul Cuman, former Hopkins lacrosse player, co-owner of National Treasure, Preakness winner, is going to join us. That's on the way. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Are you a diehard O's fan looking for the perfect way to show your team spirit? Look no further than Birdland Sports. Birdland Sports is a small business run by fans for fans. They offer a wide variety of unofficial O's merchandise from the Birds Are Coming tees to player cartoon shirts and more. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. So head to BirdlandSports.com and grab your gear today. Show your support for the Birds with Birdland Sports. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles, diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson, and Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com That first sip That first bite Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? A.J. Michaels. We do more, we do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressboxonline, and you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grindr. Not that I know it's on Grindr or anything, I swear! Second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. Hey, uh, this morning, Carmelo Anthony makes it official. He hadn't been playing this season, so we were kind of wondering. In fact, to the point, this is, here, I'll peel the curtain back. When we sat down to try to figure out who was going to be um, our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year last year at, in November, we were struggling with a couple of things. At the beginning of the year, remember the start that Lamar Jackson got off to? We were like, well, I think we know who it's going to have to be. 
and then things changed. And obviously, Adley Rutschman was always a good candidate, and we always were considering him. But we we mentioned it. It came up in conversation the possibility of you know could it could it be that the correct answer is Carmelo Anthony because he retired. And we were like, wait a second, he didn't retire. He's just not playing. <laughs> he he never actually retired. Because <laughs> we were thinking about making like a career achievement type of thing and, and all that. Um I I I sometimes feel like we don't locally give Carmelo Anthony the love that he deserves as an iconic Baltimore athlete. And I think there's there's a couple of complicating factors. Obviously the fact that there's no NBA team here. Even if he never played for an NBA team in Baltimore, just the idea that over the years he would have come back and there would have been, you know, moments to recognize him and we would have had legend. Remember what those nights were when Kevin Durant was coming back to D.C. As irrelevant as the Washington Wizards franchise is, maybe the most, God, is there a more irrelevant franchise in the NBA than the Washington Wizards? Somebody would have said probably the Sacramento Kings, but all of a sudden the Sacramento Kings have become relevant. I mean, who is less relevant than... Ay, ay, ay. I mean, Pist- I, maybe Pistons the Pistons aren't good, no, but I mean, the Pistons, the Pistons obviously are have one history. of the most iconic yeah. franchises in NBA history. I just thought you meant, you know, today at this moment. No, I mean the totality of their franchise. It, they're not, it, they've never been relevant, and they're not relevant. I mean, they're going to constantly get like, the eighth overall pick. The, I mean, it's, maybe the New Orleans Pelicans, like, that, that might be the only one that you could say they've just never had, like, they had Zion for a minute, and that seemed exciting, but that fizzled out pretty quickly. So you might be able to argue. I, the, the answer would have eternally been the Clippers because the Clippers were the most irrelevant franchise in all of the NBA. But they've at least been, they've at least mattered in, in recent years, whereas the Wizards have never mattered. They've never been a factor. The most irrelevant franchise, arguably, in the NBA. Maybe, maybe tied or you know, at least they've won a championship at some point in their history the pelicans have never done anything so maybe i could give you second most irrelevant franchise maybe maybe i'm i'm squinting on this one but maybe they're only the second most irrelevant franchise in the nba point being when those nights that kevin durant would show up like it felt like it mattered for at least those nights when kevin durant would be back now part of that was this dream that wizard the the handful of wizards fans that exist had that Kevin Durant would feel a lebron like connection to his hometown and at some point would choose to come play for Washington and they were holding out hope the kd2dc hashtag and movement but at least those nights felt real like they felt like something was going on which is extru- excruciatingly rare for that franchise if at least there was a team in Baltimore, even if Carmelo Anthony didn't play for that team, there would be more nights where he was here. And when he was traveling here, he'd be more likely to like try to schedule an event around it or you know, do something with school. Carmelo has maintained a commitment to Baltimore and has done lots of events and charity things over the years. I- I'm in no way knocking Carmelo, but he's so rarely ever been able to play basketball in Baltimore. There was the one exhibition game, that the Wizards played against the Knicks uh, years ago at the arena. There was the, I guess I was there for both of these things. So there was that, and then there was the, um, you know, the, the the during the lockout, there was the incredible night at right. Morgan State with LeBron and, I mean, Durant, and it was just the most 
unbelievable thing I've ever witnessed in my life. God, I still can't believe that night ever occurred. Um, but that's about it. We've just never really gotten to see Carmelo Anthony play, play basketball in Baltimore. And so I just don't think that we give him the respect he deserves as a Baltimore icon. His basketball legacy is also obviously complicated by the fact that he will forever be measured against LeBron James, right? Like, literally to the same draft class. It's probably unfair for Carmelo because it it takes away from what he did accomplish at the exact same time, of course. Somebody will point out, yes, he's an icon, but you'll look at all the things, the one thing he didn't accomplish, which was winning a championship. And somebody would say he never really got all that close. He did, of course, win a collegiate championship at Syracuse and had one of the most incredible NCAA tournament runs of all time. Um, you know, a, a USA basketball icon, right? Like Carmelo Anthony, what, four gold medals for Team USA? E- one, two, yeah, was, four. Was extraordinarily committed to the Team USA program in the aftermath. Because wasn't he also on the team that didn't win? He was on... Do I remember that from the Redeem Team uh, documentary that they did? Wasn't he also on the bad team? What was the bad team? What year was the bad team? Because he was on 04, he was on 08. What year was the Redeem Team? That was not 20... Was that not 2012? Or was that... The Redeem Team was 08. So yes, he was on the 04 team that didn't win. Right. And then came back and played... So he was a three-time gold So he was a three-time gold medalist. He was not on the 2020, so 2021 technically... Right. He okay. So he was a three-time gold medalist. It was a four-time medalist because they yes. won what the bronze in '04. Yeah. I don't. I don't remember. God, you're asking me to remember things off the top of my head. Ah, and normally I'm good with these things. Uh, do 2004. Yes, they won the bronze. So he was a four-time medalist, three-time gold medalist at the Olympics. Carmelo Anthony did an ungodly, you know, a top ten all-time scorer in NBA history. Was never a natural three-point shooter. To be fair, it took LeBron James a long time to become a natural three-point shooter, and then he forgot how to be one in these playoffs. I, oh, man. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Three and nineteen, um, and he was, you know, what he, he? It's like three of his last four just to get to three and nineteen. Um, it, it's a complicated legacy for Carmelo. It's a complicated legacy here too when we talk about him in the context of Baltimore athletes because when he went to New York, he started playing up the fact that he was actually born in New York and tried to create an identity where he was really a New Yorker. And I think that felt a little disrespectful to us in a way because he grew up here. This this is his home. But I got it. He was going to play basketball in that city, and so he was trying to connect with the city that he was calling home. I was never personally offended by it, but I got it. It was a complication on... The way that we feel. You know how Carmelo Anthony is like Raven's tattoos. Multiple, I believe. He is very much a Baltimorean. Every ounce. He doesn't hide from it. It's just that he was going to New York and wanted to connect with the city where he was going to play and wanted to become an iconic player there because, you know, it's maybe the biggest media market in the world. So I get it. I understand why that was something that he felt like playing up. Somebody will probably bring up the infamous stop snitching video. I, I, I'm so far removed from that thing that I couldn't possibly care. I, 
My God, imagine trying to make that part of Carmelo Leg- Anthony's legacy, for Christ's sakes. Basketball player. Basketball player. Basketball player. Shame. He never found the right place to be where he could either take a step. Again, part of the Carmelo Anthony story was he, he it was Kobe, right? Like he was going to, the ball had to be in his hands. He didn't have the chip that LeBron has where like it's more fun to do it with other people and I want to pass the ball and I want other people to shine. That wasn't Melo's game. Imperfect is an utterly fair way to describe him. I mean, far from perfect. But a hell of a fun basketball player to watch. A Baltimore icon. We were talking about this recently, Rita and I, were where Jervon, like, if we just talked about Baltimore athletes all time. Babe Ruth. Michael Phelps, Al Kaline, Carmelo Anthony's in that conversation. Javante's got to be in that conversation at this point, I guess. Top five, top ten, something like that. Athletes that are truly from Baltimore deserves and and has remained committed to this city, and I've always appreciated that about Carmelo, and I think he deserves more credit i think it's just a difficult thing to do because he didn't play here and he never really played even games here so it's been hard to create the same connection between this city and someone who has spent so much of their life away from this city but a true baltimore icon and a a hell of a career as carmelo anthony made it official this morning that he's retired from the nba Hour number one of today's show is in the books, brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com slash contests. Go sign up right now for your chance to win four tickets to each of the local minor league baseball teams, plus an Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms to help you get around. You must be 18 or older. The sweepstakes ends June 14th. Again, PressBoxOnline.com slash contests. So because we're talking about the NBA, obviously, just a bummer the way these two series have gone. Not because, like, look, I, there, if there's two things that I'm cool with rooting against, it's the Lakers and Boston. Like, I assure you, I, as a fan, I don't want those teams involved, and I was very nervous that we were headed towards Lakers-Boston. Like, and I... I'd be okay with thanks, Lakers no heat still. It's not one. It's We don't have to worry about that. That's not happening. Your, your thing where you're like, I love LeBron, they're the Lakers, they're the Lakers. So what? You, no, it's not so what. It's the, the Nuggets people, is the other no, option. No, stop it. The who people cares that, about the Nuggets? No, 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 stop it. It's not about who cares. It's that you're supposed to root against them because the people that root for the Lakers root for the Yankees and Notre Dame and the Cowboys and Duke basketball. That This is the way this is the Well, actually, the point. most people probably root for the Warriors now that root for those teams. No, no. <laughs> you've made something up in your mind because you wanted to be that way to justify your Lakers fandom. The Lakers will forever be that team. That's the way it goes. Now again, if you're a Lakers fan, you're a Lakers, Lakers fan. Like the God goodest guys of that list, though. Stop! You're trying to create something Kobe here. Bryant. The point of sports fandom is to root against the bandwagon teams. If we can't all agree to that, there's nothing we can agree to. <laughs> the point is, we're supposed to take joy when the bandwagon teams lose because the worst people we know are unhappy. 
That's supposed to bring us joy. The worst people we know are the people that are going, saying, I'm a lifelong Lakers, Yankees, Notre Dame, Duke, effing Cowboys fan. The absolute worst people we know are those people. And oddly, Rita's boyfriend. He's not all of those teams. He's just Lakers, Yankees, and it drives me nuts. I hate that because I like him. He's a great guy. But I don't get that at all. He is from New York, so I can forgive one part of it. But the other part of it makes no sense. It's the bandwagon bull S, and we should understand as sports fans to root against those teams. And again, I admit, I, like you, failed because I loved Shaq and I wanted to root for Shaq. And now I feel bad about that. In in hindsight, I should have understand. Once you're on the don't, Evil Empire, well, I'm telling you, don't you're part feel of the bad. No, Shaq no, is just I a great player. Feel, he was a great player, but he went to the Evil Empire, and you root against the Evil Empire. You have we have to agree. There have to be certain truths to make this exercise of sports worthwhile, and one of those truths should be bandwagon teams. We all agree to root against, and so we should take great joy that Lakers are down 3-0. The I, problem is, it also means we get less basketball. And nobody enjoyed watching that last night. That no. was embarrassing. I mean, that was... First eight seed to ever win a playoff game by 25 points or more. It was... Path- I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's interesting, that I is. guess. It's more interesting that it comes in the conference finals. <laughs> I mean, that was as pathetic as pathetic gets. That stunk. I, I, stunk. I hate to change the subject that much, but uh, if we don't think AI is listening... They obviously what? are. Why? I just have an ad that just popped up on like my article that I was that I had open. Yeah. Blink one eighty two tickets. Well, how about that? Well, it is also this Friday in Baltimore. Okay. I mean, I can I understand mean, why they might be doing pushing some advertising for that event. I mean, I've never searched. I understand, Blink-182 but I can or... understand why they'd be pushing that event in Baltimore since okay. it's this right, Friday. Fine. Fair. Uh, Proctor, thank you. F the Yankees, F the Cowboys, and the Lakers, Manchester United, Duke. This is the way. Thank you. Proctor and I agree on basically nothing in well, the I, world. I agree on all those. He's it's, like my I mortal mean, enemy. This is the. You have to understand that the point of being a sports fan is to root against these teams. But again, we still don't want there to be less games and less compelling games because we're at that point of the year where we're only going to get so many basketball games. I had the feeling last night as I was watching that, like, we might only get one more TNT game this year. Oh. And that stinks because TNT is far superior, obviously, to ESPN's coverage of the NBA. It's Mike Breen's great, but other Mike than Mike Breen's that. great. You're right. And it's a shame. I still think that I like... Harlan. Yeah. I mean, they're... It's, I, they, they're, they're neck they, and neck. The it's, options that TNT gives you are so good. They're giving you Harlan, Ian Eagle, Marv Albert. My God. It's so overwhelming. Plus a good halftime show. Yes. <laughs> Not just a good half, an even watchable halftime. I, I made the joke a couple weeks ago on Twitter where uh, like, the NBA says, all right, guys, what are the plans for the postseason? And TNT's like, well, we're going to give you the most popular studio show in sports history with two Hall of Famers at the center of it. And ESPN says, and we're going to ask who's ever working that day to stick <laughs> around and work overtime. They have one former player on their panel. One, and it's no offense to Jalen Rose, who's you know fine. Like I like Jalen Rose as a personality, and he was a good basketball player, but he sure as hell wasn't a Hall of Famer. <laughs> One, that's the weakest link in TNT's coverage. One, they put up, um, they put up like a graphic a couple weeks ago. ESPN did about their the here are Game Seven plans, and it was. They, it was pictures of 
the broadcast team, gotcha. and the halftime crew, and there were seven people in these pictures, and two of them had ever played in the NBA. Two of them. Of the seven people that were going to be involved in their their coverage of Game 7 between the Celtics and 76ers, two of them were ever in the NBA. None of them were in the Hall of Fame. And it was, of course, Mark Jackson and uh, Jalen Rose were the two that had ever played in the NBA. I have no idea what in the world. This bit where ESPN's like, we'll just not. I guess they're not going to. I mean, what do you want to add? Kendrick Perkins? I guess they just really don't have well, a that's large the, roster. That's kind of the point. Like, they're just, yeah. It's an underwhelming, for being the Analyst network roster. that gets to present the NBA Finals, it's a really underwhelming. Like, Jackson and Van Gundy are fine. I, I get they've kind of become part of the cultural zeitgeist, so we just sort of accept them. But, like, they're not exceptional in any way. Meanwhile, TNT's trotting out Reggie Miller and Chris Webber and, you know, like, again, Hall of Famers. Grant Hill, you heard of him? Hall of Famers to do all of their basketball coverage. And ESPN says, well, who lives in that part of the country? (laughs) And, like, I have great respect for Hubie Brown, but he's 90 years old. (laughs) By the way, still pretty sharp for a 90-year-old or 89, whatever. I mean, it's un... Whatever, Hubie, Hubie Brown is definitely into his 80s, and I think closer to 90 at this point. And he did some of the Sun series, and, like, it wasn't embarrassing. 89. 89 years old. That's crazy. 89 years old. And there was no thought, like, maybe we send a third member of that crew. They're trotting out J.J. Redick. No offense to J.J. Redick, who I get we've all accepted we don't hate the same way that we hated when when he was at Duke because he's become kind of a likable personality. But that's what he is. He's a... He's... What cachet does J.J. Redick have? Is that he made the playoffs, you know, every year he played, except for, I think, like, one? Great. <laughs> and that was the year he played with Zion. This is what they're trotting out for their NBA coverage. They're just... Well, you, here, you do first take and then go do the NBA. It stinks, man. It's so it's such a bummer that TNT only might only have one more game. Um and it's just a, a bummer that these series have been duds. Yeah. I mean, like that's the bu- at least at least there were some competitive games, but like Boston Miami has not been um not terribly. Have, yeah. I guess game, Jimmy took over. I mean, yeah, you well know. they were look, Boston was up 9 in game That's 2 true, yeah. until yeah. Grant Williams decided to <laughs> do the John Cena act. I mean, it was stupid. I mean, it was, was incredibly funny. stupid. I I can't like Jimmy Butler anymore, man. Like Holy I am cow. so openly rooting for Jimmy Butler now. Like and I I actually I, I'm accepting the fact that the Nuggets might be unbeatable. Well, that's what I as soon as um, I as, right after game 2 I text my friends. Like, yeah. so we all ordering uh Jimmy Butler jerseys now? Dude, I'm just like... so in on Jimmy. He's so much fun, man. He is ju- his story's great. The way that he talked about it afterwards, like the fact that he he didn't want to be the one to clown Grant Williams after the game. He's like, "I'll let the internet do that." And I'll say, ah, oh, man, that was just good competition. Like, I was, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun for me, which I believe, because obviously we saw what happened afterwards. Of course it was I mean, fun. the smirk is just too perfect. Like, he gets in his face, and he's just, Jimmy's just smirking. God, Jimmy Not Butler, even looking Jimmy at Jimmy Butler's him. so great, man. I am so in on Jimmy Butler. He knows what's about to happen. 100%. <laughs> it's like, really? You're going to poke the bear? Really? <laughs> really? Oh, it's so awesome. Love that dude. I'm rooting for him, but I think the Nuggets are going to end up winning the title. I think it's... I, I I mean if I Jamal mean, Murray's gonna play like this, yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't I think mean, they can be beat. Like I think that really Jokic and, if Jokic and Murray on every night, I mean that's it's so funny. The LeBron it'll counteract Bam and Le- Le- LeBron doing the James Harden or the Joel Embiid bit the other day where he was like, you know, the difference has really been their supporting cast. Like, no, it's not. 
The difference is Jokic and Murray have been Jokic and Murray, and you and Anthony Davis have been meh. Like, that's the difference. It has nothing to do with the sporting cast. This is not a world where you can be like, dude, I'm doing everything I can. You're 3 of 19 from 3 in the series. You've been a non-factor in the fourth quarter. And I get it, you're 38. I'm not taking shots at LeBron James either. This is kind of what happens when you're 38 and you play into well into May of an NBA season. It's very difficult, even for LeBron James, to still be that guy. But that's the way the roster was constructed, was that he and Anthony Davis had to be those guys. And they're not. Anthony Davis had a hell of a game one. He's been so-so in games two and three. Meanwhile, Jamal Murray has been awesome, and Nicole Jokic has been awesome. And yes, they've gotten some contributions from other guys. Bruce Brown, Porter's been good. But the story is the star players. The stars in Denver have been unbelievable. The stars in L.A. have been so-so. And that's the reason why it's 3-0. LeBron's like, well, you know, it's that supporting cast they have in Denver. No, it's not. No, it's not. And maybe it's the reality of, like, this could have been the Nuggets all along if Jamal Murray had just been able to stay healthy. Like, it, what we might have been learning is that this might have just been that the Nuggets were going to become the dominant team in basketball had it not been for Jamal Murray dealing with injuries. All right. Uh, they get the chance to finish off that series tonight in L.A. Before that, though, we are going to talk to a Preakness winner. Had to do this a little bit earlier on because of his schedule, but a local connection co-owner of National Treasure, Treasure, Saul Cuman, with us now here on GCR. Pretty good weekend for our next guest here on GCR. Of course, we've uh, we talked to him before when uh, some horse you may have heard of named Justify was doing a couple of things during Triple Crown season, and he was back in the winner's circle at Pimlico with National Treasure and the Preakness on Sunday. He is co-owner of the horse Former Johns Hopkins lacrosse player, he saw Cumin, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Saul, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to catch up, man. Thank you for taking the time, and congratulations. Oh, thanks for having me, man. It's a great weekend, and uh, sadly back to work today, but uh, missing my missing my Baltimore weekend. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun to be down there, and. Obviously, nice to get lucky. So, what is it? I mean, I, I, you know, I get it. it. I don't know what can compare to being a triple crown winner, right? Like that's I, there's nothing in sports I don't think that can quite compare to that. But I know how much uh, this race, this place, means to you. What's the feeling like when you win a race like this? It's incredible. I mean, you know, the the, <laughs> the sport of horse racing has lots and lots of ups and downs, right? Um, when you're when you're watching on TV and you know you see the owner and the trainer and you know hoisting the trophy. That is that. Those are the happy times. Those are they don't happen that often, and when they do, you got to celebrate them because there's, you know, there's lots of calls where you think a horse is going to run and they get a fever or their foot hurts or something's up, and there's just a lot of disappointment. So you got to really enjoy those big days. And uh, and we you know we had one of them this weekend. It was great. It, you know, my my first experience ever at a horse race was uh you know was you know in the infield in college at Hopkins and um I you know I, I didn't know anything about horse racing. I didn't grow up around it, so to be, uh, you know, to get a to get a chance to come back there and in a city that I love and have spent a lot of time and, and obviously continue to spend a lot of time um, and to win our third Preakness in, you know, I think it was six years or something like that yeah. with the Exaggerator, uh, you know, Justify, um, you know, and then obviously uh, yesterday or Saturday, um, it was amazing. And mm-hmm. this is the first time actually in our, our colors we won the race, which is great. You know, we, we, sh- we have a couple partners and we rotate on, you know, whose silks they're going to wear. So oh, it was cool. nice to be able to, to get, to get the baby blue, uh, 
hanging up there, which was, which was great. So it, it was really awesome. And, um, you know, we had a lot of fun. It was obviously psyched. So what was it about this horse when, when you decided to get involved? What, would tell me, take me through the story. I think a lot of people were enamored with this horse as a two-year-old. Run me through your experience and in getting involved with National Treasure. Yeah, so we've got a group of guys that, um, that basically every year put up a pool of cash together. And, um, and we, you know, we buy a bunch of Colts and, and this group is designed to try to win the classic type races. Um, we're buying, you know, pedigrees that, you know, that fit pedigrees that if we are to win these races, there's a, you know, a very high probability that they'll end up being stallions. Um, you know, there's a, a buying team of four or five people uh, led by Donato Lani, um, who's a bloodstock agent that's, that's bought lots of really good horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the goal of these, this group is to send them to Bob Baffert and, and you know, he trains them and he's involved in the buying as well. Um, and so for me, actually, I, um, I, I did a lot of work to become part of this group. Um, I, you know, I've owned horses with all the partners um, and, uh, and the bloodstock agent in Adelani buys a lot of horses for me outside of this in different categories, fillies and turf horses, et cetera. Um, so, but in the actual buying, I mean, we know we're going to buy – 20 to 25 horses a year and, and in this group, and we know kind of what we're going to spend. And then to be honest with you, my job in terms of buying them is, is essentially nothing. Um, the part that's funny about this one is, so they, you know, they buy most of them at this big sale in, in Keeneland in Kentucky in September. Uh, before that sale, there's a sale at Saratoga. And it's a little bit of a, everybody brings their, you know, nice stuff up there. It's kind of a party sale. There's only a couple hundred horses. People are sitting outside. They're serving cocktails. It's like, it's a pretty, pretty fun scene. Hmm. Um, and I always, I try to go up for it and I'm hanging out with the guys that are buying it, but they're, you know, they're working right They're They got the book. They're looking, they're pulling the horses out. They're looking at them. And then they generally will tell me before, Hey, look, we like hip number 1,352 and 77. And those are the three we're going to bid on. And this is about the price we'd like to buy them. And, and then I'll sit with them and bid and know if we got them, but I'm really not doing any, any real work. Okay. This one, fu- funny enough, was hip number 13. Okay. Which is my lucky number, is my, was my Hopkins lacrosse number, is the day I was born. Uh, and so I remember this one so well because they were like, our favorite horse today is number 13. And I'm like, 13, that's my lucky number. And they're like, oh, no way. So we went to see it. And I, um, and I said, well, I get to name this one. And they said, well, funny enough. The breeder actually named the horse already National Treasure. And it's a pretty good name. So if we get it, we probably won't change the name. I'm like, all right, that's fair. Keep and that, it, yeah. that happens very rarely. You know, the 25 we bought, I think one, maybe two were named. The rest of them, obviously, if you're buying them, you name them. And you can always, you, we could have renamed them. But some people think that that's bad luck once it's been done. Okay. So, uh, so we didn't rename the horse. We bought Hip 13. I was there. I felt like I was part of it when I'm normally not. And then, uh, you know, and then he was off on his, uh, on his way. Man, how about that, right? How about that? And here you are, Preakness winner, Salk Human, with us here on GCR, co-owner of National Treasure, of course, former Hopkins lacrosse player. Um, Saul, in the, in the weeks leading up, in the decision to run in the Preakness, how confident were you? Obviously, um, you know, there is the, the awkwardness with Bob and, and, and coming back and having not been able to be at the Derby. Like, take me through the confidence that your group had that this was the right race for this horse at the right time. Yeah. Th- you know, we, we had run in the Santa Anita Derby, um, and the horse, you know, didn't have a great trip, um, but ran actually a relatively fast speed figure. Um, and at that point it was probably one of the best things that happened to him because we didn't have to jam him back to run him in the Derby. We were able to give him, um, you know, pretty good, 
spacing to run fresh in the Preakness. So I think, you know, that next day when we saw the speed figure and he came out of the race okay, you know, I think the group was, it was pretty aligned by saying, let's, let's, you know, let's run this course in the Preakness. Let's give him the, you know, I think it was seven, six or seven weeks that he needed and come in fresh. And, you know, if you look back at the Preakness, I think three of the last four or four of the last five Preakness winners have been, you know, what we call a new shooter, someone that didn't mm-hmm. run in the Derby, mm-hmm. right? You know, as you know, if you know, you're running a mile and a quarter at Churchill's track and then coming back two weeks later to run on the Derby, um, it's really difficult. And normally you'll see three or four horses do it. This year, only the winner tried it um, and actually ran a, a pretty good third. It's, it's just a lot on these horses. So, um, so that was our move, you know, from that day on. Um, I think it was, uh, I think it turned out to be, you know, obviously to be the right move. And, um, and you know, our, our goal, we had, had a, you know, a couple horses in the Derby also. Um, and so, you know, if you have a few, you're, you're in a lucky spot where you can spread them around. Um, but this one wasn't going to get into the Derby on points and it made sense to come in fresh in the Preakness. And, uh, and it was a turned out to be the right the right yeah, call. Clearly, made made the right call in that situation. <laughs> um, I know there was a little bit of of dodgy after the race. Have you guys started to think about like what the thought would be? And I, I know that when there's not a uh, you know a triple crown at stake, it's great for the folks at Belmont if they could get like a you know a match race type of scenario. Um, have you guys thought about that at all um, at this point? Yeah. And made a decision. Yeah, I think you know. So it's funny. I think he's going to run in the Belmont. Okay. I think if he, he came out of he came out of the race in good shape, we left him on the East Coast um, with Brittany Russell, who's the other trainer that we use for some of the horses in this group. She's she's stabled at um, you know at Laurel Pimlico, so she's there. Um, and if he's doing well and has good energy uh, all week, I think our plan is to take a shot and run him in the Belmont. Um, we had another horse with the same exact ownership group called Reincarnate that ran in the Kentucky Derby. Um, I think he ran, you know, 10th at 18, nothing bad, nothing remarkable. Um, and I think our plan potentially is to run both of them in the Belmont cool. and, uh, and give it, and give it a shot. I think that, you know, I think I read yesterday that Mage, uh, the, the Derby winner won't run in the Belmont. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, it's a bummer, but there'll be some, you know, the Forte who was the, yep. you know, the Derby favorite, I think just breeze and is planning on running. And there's a, a horse that Todd Fletcher has called Tapid Trice, who, um, I think ran maybe fourth or third in the, in the Derby, who's very good, who's bred to go long. So there's, it's going to be a, the Belmont's going to be very, very tough. Um, but, but you know what? We'll probably take a shot. So I know, um, I, you know, look, nationally, there is all the attention that was paid on some of the issues and, and horse deaths leading up to the Preakness. And sadly, I know Bob lost one of his horses literally on Preakness Day, and you could see the emotion in him. For those that don't know the business quite the same way and are just simply alarmed, and, I, and, and certainly you understand that because even one horse death, it's terrible, right? C- can you explain oh. your feelings as someone who's very involved in this sport about that, about what people should know about it, and, and even particularly with Bob, who obviously I'm sure you know has dealt with a lot of criticism, why you guys are still comfortable running with Bob? Yeah, so so – I guess I'll, I'll try the first part last. I mean, okay. I, I've, yeah. you know, I, I, I've, you know, I, I've had horses with Bob for a while. Um, you know, our, our, our model is to have horses with lots of trainers. So, you know, we, you know, some people have all their horses with one person. Um, we spread our horses out and give them to the people that we think are going to be best at that type of horse. And that allows us to use a lot of different people. So, um, you know, I send, we send Bob, Dirt Colts, right? He's won the Preakness eight times. He's won the Derby 
four or five times, whatever it is, he's very good with that type of horse. Um, so, you know, he, he's not my only trainer um, in, in, you know, that I have, but he's, you know, he, he fits a piece and, and I think he's very, very good at what he does. Um, I, I think Bob was, you know, unfairly treated a bit. I mean, I feel like people were kind of gunning for him and, and coming after him. And um, I think if you really peel back the onion on where, um, you know, where he had his issues, they, you know, there wasn't a lot there. Um, so that's just my own opinion. And, um, and I understand, I understand both sides of it. And so, but we've decided to stick with Bob for, with this group and we've, he's got a whole group of two-year-olds with us again. And um, that he's a friend and he's, he's part of our, of our process. So um, I've never, I've been to his barn many times. I've seen his staff. I've seen the way they treat the horses. Um, I just have never seen anything that's made me feel uncomfortable. And, um, you know, as an owner, you don't know everything, right? So, you know, I can't, I, I, I'm sitting in my office in New York City today. I live in Boston. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I'm at a horse track 10 days a year. So, I, you know, there's a lot that we don't see and we have to just trust people. And, um, and you know, Bob's been doing this a long time and, and you know, our group feels, feels comfortable um, trusting him. As far as the overall sport, I mean, the breakdowns of horses, they, you know, it, 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 they come and go. I mean, you know, I, I've owned, you know, I don't say thousands of horses, but probably close um, over a seven or eight year span. And, um, you know, I would say every few years we'll have one that breaks down. It's awful. Um, and, uh, but it doesn't happen often. And, um, you know, it, it's unfortunately part of the sport. It's a terrible part of the sport. Um, but, and unfortunately it's when horses get hurt severely, you know, because of how heavy they are, they just can't right. put their, their weight on themselves. You have a, you know, snap an ankle and, they unfortunately have to put you down or whatever it might be. Right. Because you just, you, they, they, they can't handle it. Um, I, you know, I, my favorite part about racing is the mornings. I love to, to go to the barns and, and spend time with the horses. And that's where you see how well these horses are treated. Um, when we retire horses, we make sure we, we spend money on making sure they have good lives. We rehome them. We give donations to do that. Um, we help pay for them to have new careers. I mean, you know, we, we treat our horses extremely well. Um, I'm not sure every single person in the sport does, but most do. And, um, and so I, I understand the criticism. I hate seeing it. Obviously, watching a horse of Bob's breakdown on a big day, and then obviously the, the couple of breakdowns on Derby Day where, you know, they give you a stomach ache and yeah. you feel terrible. Um, but it's, you know, it's unfortunately a, a, a small, tiny part of the game. And, um, you know, they're, they're athletes and they compete and once in a while they get hurt and it's, it's disappointing and sad. Um, but it's just part of the game. I appreciate that. So, um, I, I know that uh, it was, it was a bummer that you couldn't make it a double double this weekend, right? With Hopkins shocking, uh, Notre Dame on oh. Sunday, that would have been, that would have been a heck of a way for this to go, but that would have been a great weekend. I, I, I guess want to get your thoughts on, on what they did this season. And I know there was a lot of, I don't know if heat was the right word, but there was a, a, a lot of, uh, angst surrounding where Hopkins lacrosse was coming into this year and the job that Peter Milliman and his team did to sort of return Hopkins to where we all believe that they should be within the pantheon of college lacrosse. What did that mean to you and to, to all Hopkins alumni? Yeah, this was a big year for us. I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, I think people were feeling um, sad and, 
<laughs> depressed and disappointed with where we've been the last handful of years. And, um, and it kind of feels like we're back. Um, you know, we, uh, we're going to have a big chunk of that team returning next year. Um, Pete is starting to finally have his guys. Um, the, the people that he recruited are starting to, you know, to, to make an impact. And um, we had great players before Pete, but it's all, always different when, you know, when they're your players, when you recruited them, when you sat in their living room, it's mm-hmm. a, a little bit different. You see them fitting into your system. And um, we sort of said from the beginning, we'll know in you know, three to four years if Pete's the right guy. We're sort of getting to that point and we're starting to see, um, you know, we just saw the way that this team played. I think, I think what was great about this year is that they, it wasn't one star. I mean, they, they were fun to watch. They played like a, you know, they really played like a team. They competed, they played hard. Um, the culture was good. I think I give Pete a lot of credit. Um, you know, his staff is essentially all Hopkins guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, John Crawley, know, he, yeah. uh, he brought in Crawley and BK and, mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's he's had um, uh, our defensive coach has been there for a while, who's amazing. And so we, um, you know, that that makes a big difference. You know, I think Hopkins is, um, you know, they really they Hopkins loves Hopkins people, right? It's kind of just it's how this the program's always been. And having someone who wasn't a Hopkins guy uh, makes it, I think, more difficult. And I think he was smart enough to realize that he's going to have a higher probability for success if he brought in. Uh, you know, all, all Hopkins staff and he's done that. And you, you know, you can, you can see it. I mean, you can see Jameson's, you know, passion on the sidelines and it's uh, it's exciting to see. And, you know, I was really proud to be associated with that program this year. Right. I think the other thing is the women's team um, is, uh, has got a new coach also. And uh, this was his first year. They went to the tournament. They won their first round game. Uh, you know, they got knocked out by Syracuse who's in the final four, who's really good. Um, but uh, you know, I think that's a, another program that um, that is uh, really exciting, and I think he's uh, uh, Tim's going to do an incredible job there. So, uh, you know, for me, I'm I'm really excited about really where both programs are right now. Great point about Tim McCormick. It ain't easy to replace a legend, um, and Janine Tucker certainly oh, it was every word of legend, every every element of legend. There's no doubt. Uh, Salk Human, congratulations, man. Um, and an awesome thing, and to see what it means to you, and it was cool, you and Westmore, a couple. Of- Thank you so much, Belmont. 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 Thank you so much, taking the time for us. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Great to talk to you. I'll catch up with you soon. Take care. Salk Human, Preakness winner, National Treasure co-owner. Appreciate him taking the time for us here on GCR. And, yeah, Hopkins, unfortunately, comes up short against Notre Dame. A bit more competitive than I was afraid they, that might have been. But, um, as expected, the three ACC teams make the Final Four, as well as Penn State, who won a thriller against Army. My God, if you didn't see the end of that game, that was nuts. Army looked like they had scored the game-tying goal. Turns out it was about .2 seconds after the buzzer that they got the shot off. So, um, did not count. Penn State hangs on. They get to make the trip to Philly, which is neat, but almost certainly going to be one of the three ACC teams that wins the title. We'll talk to Patrick Stevens about that tomorrow. When we come back in, it's Monday. Jeremy Kahn's going to join us because that's what we do on Mondays. It's Glenn Clark Radio. The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. 
the best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. The Orioles are off and running out to prove that last season wasn't a fluke and they are one of the best teams in baseball. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, host of the Bat Around for Pressbox. Tune in every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon as Zach Goodman and I break down every Adley bomb, every Tony Tater, and every save from the mountain. Like a warm hug from Rutschman, the Bat Around has you covered with all things Orioles as we embark on what's sure to be a magical summer in Birdland. So tune in every Saturday for the best in Orioles coverage right here on the Bat Around. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches. And top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every sus What's wrong with you? 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 Sam the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley, Luke Jackson now get together every Monday night at 6 o'clock. Facebook.com slash Andy Dolich, long time Andy Dolich, long time Andy Dolich, long time pro sports executive, including a good stretch with the Oakland A's. Talk about that. Kind of crook.com slash pressbox, facebook.com slash pressbox, facebook.com slash pressbox sports. If you miss it live, joining us now, 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 concretelocks.com, C O N N, concretelocks.com. Big Bad Morning Show 1057, the fan and picks every day here at pressboxonline.com. He's our pal, Jeremy Kahn. And he's with us here on GCR. What's going on, brother? How are you? Oh, guys, doing well. Everything is good here, man. What is this deal that, like, so So Rob's like a 16-year-old girl? Like, he just gets to take off because it's his birthday? Like, what? what, what I is don't know. That? Like, I mean, he's off the whole week. So it's but not just his birthday. It's his birthday week. That's, you know, unbe- so. that's unbelievable. I mean, it, it reminds me of like being around friends in college who would like plan an entire month worth of birthday activities. I mean, like, what? It, you, I, I don't even get a day. You know what I do on my birthday? I go to work. Like, that's the way that yeah. this works. The hell is that all I about? I don't remember the last time I've taken off for a birthday. Like, I, I man. Uh, I remember showing up to work. Maybe I shouldn't say where the employer was. When I was uh, probably about 18 years old, I showed up to work one day on my birthday, and the girl that was my boss at the time was like, man, we're not going to make you do anything today. It's your birthday. And she just drove me around and got me high. And I was like, this is great. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a wonderful <laughs> I job. I work on my birthday more frequently. Yeah, I don't know why I ever quit. That was a mistake <laughs> on my part. 
Um, all right, I got a bunch of stuff. Actually, sports things to cover with you. I, I start with the Orioles. Like this was fun, obviously this weekend. But man, I I had like a moment where everything kind of hit me last night. That like, dude, this is real. Like this this is fun, but it's not just fun anymore. Like now there's suddenly to me like actual expectations and some of these decisions that we've been talking about, like about when you might try to use this log jam in middle infielders. That could actually prove to be the difference if you nail that and whether or not this team can win a World Series in the next couple of years. Like, I, I don't know what it was. Something, like, hit me smack in the face last night where I said, this is a fun story, but it's no longer just a fun story. Now it's kind of on. Yeah, and I, I said yesterday, and, and look, you can tell me I'm getting way ahead of myself, but we were doing hot takes. And uh, on on a show I was doing on BeckQL, yeah. And I said that I think that the uh, that you know this Orioles team is has the potential to be a dynasty in baseball. And he's like, oh my god, I can't believe you're saying that. They haven't won anything yet. I said, no, hear me out. I know it's a hot take, and I'm no, I'm using the word dynasty loosely. Their farm system is loaded. It's unbelievable. And you know we haven't even we haven't even started talking about some of the international guys that they brought in that still won't be ready for another two to three years, but now they're starting to get to the point where they're like prospects in their second season, Correct. you know? So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about where they're going. And, you know, I was saying to somebody else too, Glenn, that a lot of times when it comes to football, you always want to find your coach. You want to find that, um, that quarterback, you know, those important things, but like, it's so weird in sports when you finally have a front office that you trust mm-hmm. and that you believe in. And I really do with Mike Elias in this group. I just, I feel like everything they're doing, like even the trades that we looked at last year, people are like, I can't believe you're trading Jorge Lopez. Yeah. Well, and you wind up with Yannir Cano. Right. Like, you know, like, and, and you look at that now saying that's a piece that could help you. And I know it sounds silly win multiple championships. Like you get a guy on the cheap that if he's able to continue to do what he's been doing, it's amazing. Uh, agreed. Uh, I, I, dynasty is a tough word, right? Like that's, but I yeah. get what you're saying. And you're not alone. I know, like, Ben Verlander like, did a crazy thing this week where he was going on about how the Orioles are going to win a World Series in the next three years. Like, I, yeah. I, something something has clicked in the last week where it's all coming in. Maybe it's, you know, to your point, like MLB uh, putting out their new top 100 prospects list, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, they're really good already, and they still have this much to come. Like, I think it's coming into focus for more people what's going on. I'll present this one to you. Um, I was talking with our buddy Eric Arditi about it the other day, and he said, Glenn, I've always kind of had the sneaking suspicion that Jordan Westberg will never play a game in Baltimore. That of uh, given where they are, and given yeah. that there's no real clear this is what he's going to be for a long time, and that he actually has a fair amount of value as opposed to maybe a Connor Norby who you'd like to deal that he's the obvious choice for here's how you go land your pitcher. Now, it's funny because Steve Johnson and I were talking, and he was like, dude, like all these pitchers are busting their ass right now. Like, Who are you running? Who are you trying to run out of the rotation at the moment? But I get it. You still yeah, keep- that's, that's the hard thing. Like, right. I mean, if somebody presented to you, and I'll just I'll give you a name, like Garrett Cole. Like, You make a move. Right. You find a spot for him. Of course. You pick any one of the of five course. and you move him out. But let's be honest, like, I think the harder part is picking the one guy that you're going to move out because they're all kind of doing the same thing, right? Yep. They're all, um, you know, like there's clearly, like I think Tyler Wells and, and Kyle Bradish, uh, for being younger guys, are a step above, you know, Dean Kramer and some of the other ones. But again, Kramer's not, it's not like he's been pitching bad here nope. the past few starts. 
it's a, it's a really tough decision. It's, and we had a guy call in today and bring up trading for Shohei Otani, and I didn't think it was crazy. <laughs> you know, so like, it's funny. Weird. It's funny because that came up. I don't remember who brought that up with me, and I said, "Well, it can't be Shohei Otani because you can't win the World Series this year, and if you can't win the World Series this year, you can't do that." But like to the point, Jeremy, what you just said. I can't say they can't win the World Series at this point. Like, my God, they have the second-best record in baseball, and we're nearly two months into the season. I don't think they will. I, I just – nothing's crazy at this point. Like, th that's what, I keep no. using the word real. Like, it's smacking me in the face how real this whole thing is. Like, it is – this is happening now. It is not – Well, they're, it's they're not what, just 95 real. and 67 since Rutschman right. was called up? correct. Correct. With the lowest payroll in baseball. Yep. Yep. It's, I mean, it's it's bonkers. It's bonkers. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's that. That's fun. Uh, Carmelo Anthony announces his retirement this morning. Talk me through what you think Carmelo Anthony's legacy is. Maybe less is a Baltimore athlete, but more just in the NBA. Well, he's a he's a no brainer Hall of Famer. Obviously. Um. And, you know, like, I, I hear people always ask those questions, like, hey, is Carmelo Anthony a Hall of Famer? And I go, you guys do realize it's a basketball Hall oh of Fame. God. Like, it's not an NBA Hall of Fame. And even if it just was well, an he NBA would, Hall yes, of Fame, he would be an NBA 100%. Hall of Fame. Yeah, he'd be a first ballot yeah. NBA Hall of Famer, right. I don't think people realize how ridiculously good he was for a long period of time. He just, he, he was never on a team that made that run or got it done in the postseason. And I think, you know, it's fair to bring up those things, but all the, like, if he were, I'm trying to think of a, like, let's just say he was Mike Bibby and did all those things. And, you know, like we're, we're not talking about Mike Bibby right. being a NBA Hall of Famer or anything like that. Like, go look at what Carmelo Anthony's stats were. He was a, you know, a scoring leader. He was, I mean, the points he scored were just amazing. And he carried some teams. He won a national championship in college. So it's like, uh, I mean, I think the world of him, I think he was a great player that um, never really, never really got to where he could have gotten to in the NBA, if that makes sense. I guess the question about his legacy is, because what you point out, obviously it's, it's always brought up, that he never, it's not just that he didn't win a title, he never really got close to winning a title. And I think the question, that the people that want to poke a hole at Carmelo Anthony, even that accept that, to your point, he's obviously a Hall of Famer, he's obviously all of those things, is they'll say, and, and some of that is on him, that he prevented it because of his style, because... He was always going to chuck, and he was never a truly great three-point shooter as much as he was a volume shooter, that he prevented himself from being that guy. What do you make of the argument that it's not, it wasn't bad luck for Carmelo Anthony, that Carmelo Anthony prevented Carmelo Anthony from ever being able to be an NBA champion? Yeah, because I think Carmelo tried to get the most out of you know his contracts and also where he was staying. I mean, the time with the Nuggets, we all know about that. And the teams were good. They never, never really got to where we thought they should have. And then the, the Knicks run and then bouncing around the league. Didn't he have a cup of coffee with the Thunder? He didn't ever play a game with him. He got uh, traded there. That never smells played. right. Yes. That's uh, yeah. I'll double so, check. Uh, but, but no, I mean like Portland, LA, like all the different places, he was a glorified scorer and he was so good at scoring that even when he wasn't scoring, he was going to shoot more to make sure he did score. So, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think he was a score first guy. I don't think he was, I don't think he was a team guy, but I also don't think he's just the I me my guy. I just think he played his style that he'd always played his whole career that he had to get his shots up, um, uh, you know, to really have an effect on the game. And may, maybe we don't have a lot of players like that now, or they won't do what what Carmelo did. But he was just an absolute. He was a great scorer, and one of the things I'll remember about his career, I always remember the hoodie mellow thing. Oh, no he was doubt. in practice wearing those hoodies and just lighting them up, man. 
Dude, um, pretty one of, crazy. One of the great nights. By the way, he he played a season in Oklahoma City. Um, uh, one of the one of the things that one of the most memorable moments that I've ever had. Well, he never played a game there, right? Didn't he no, get he traded? Played. Never played. He played. Like, Is there he, stats? Are you sure? Yeah, hang on a second. I'll pull up. I thought he got before. traded there and they bought him out. No, he was there for the entire season. Hang on a second. I'm pulling it up right now to tell you about what he did. Oh, Griffin's guy. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. He, he, he had uh, 78 games, 32 minutes a game. He averaged 16 points on the year yeah. with Oklahoma City. He really yeah. played. I don't know why. Yeah. I can't picture him in Oklahoma City. No, not at all. Able. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't even remember that. I just thought, or hold on, was it the yeah, Hawks that he got traded to and he never went? That He never actually played for the Hawks. So if he got traded to them, he definitely never played for them for sure. But so yeah. that's the team I'm thinking yeah. of then. And then yeah. he played like okay. two games, or he played 10 games with the Rockets the, the next season. So yeah, that, and then they cut him right or right, just told him to right. stay home. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. No thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, oh, man, it's sad watching guys at the end of their careers, though. Oh, they're just hanging. Well, Vince, I, you could have convinced me that Vince Carter was still playing this season. I would have believed you. Like, that's, <laughs> I mean, my God. He's still dunking. Yeah, it probably is. 100%. I mean, he might be playing in the big three for all I know. Is the big three still a thing? <laughs> he might be playing in that. Uh, I, don't, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> that is the correct Which answer. Which one of those answers I, was right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I appreciate that. Um, as far as the playoffs are concerned, I, it, I'm in a weird place because like I'm always good with the Lakers lose. I'm always good with Boston losing, but I am bummed out by this. Like I'm bummed out knowing how little we have left that these series are yeah. over so quickly. That's a bummer. I, I I am unabashed. I have fallen in love with Jimmy Butler, not just because of his play, but just all of it. Like the theatrics, the stuff the other night with Grant Williams was amazing. I love his responses in press conferences. I'm all in on Jimmy Butler, but I'm a little bit terrified that the Nuggets are just proving themselves to truly, if, as long as Jokic and Murray are playing like this, it kind of doesn't matter who the opponent is. They were always going to win, and maybe if Murray had stayed healthy, they would have been stockpiling multiple titles at this point. I, I think that's 100% accurate, what you just said, or at least how I feel the whole thing's going to play out. Um, and I'll say this, I don't know anything about the NBA playoffs right now because uh, like I just can't figure it out and even from a betting standpoint I was telling somebody else that I was talking to a couple guys in the industry that I really like and trust and saying how have you guys been doing in the playoffs they're all like we've been getting our asses handed really because yeah well I mean you got to think of it too like did I see did I see last night that the Celtics were four and a half point favorites down 0-2 on the road in that series yes that's bizarre so they were nine and a half point favorites or nine point favorites game one, game two. Um, I was on on them in both of those, and then I had the under in game three because I didn't trust them at that point. It looked like they totally quit on their coach, and there's no mm-hmm. way I could bet them in game four. Ironically, in the Lakers series, I am betting on the Lakers tonight because I think yeah, I definitely think LeBron and that team care about not being swept. Right, it's more there's of a pride. A, yeah, you know, you at least have to go yeah. back to so, Denver to do this. We're not going to let you do it here. It, I right. feel sick to my stomach saying that I'm going to bet the Lakers, but yeah, I will be on that tonight. And and it's just it's one of those things too where you're looking at these series. What a what a crapshoot to get, you know, like or what what crappy games we got with a three zero in in both Western and Eastern yeah. Conference Finals right now. Um, and then even when we get to the main series, I'm just wondering how much other fans will care because the NBA, will they be happy with a Nuggets Heat series? Not from a television standpoint, but will it put new superstars? Will people get more eyes on Jokic and guys like Jamal Murray and Bam Adebayo and, of course, Jimmy Butler, who we all love? I think Butler's the guy, right? Like I think that's the NBA can market Jimmy Butler now. His story is so good, you know, like being homeless, having to fight for everything. Like It's a great story. 
and he's entertaining as F. I think the NBA would be yeah. smart to throw themselves behind marketing Butler. I just don't think it's going to matter because I just unfortunately think that the Nuggets are a, a juggernaut and there's just nothing that you're going to be able to do about them and unless un- let's, you know, something. Let's not know. forget Butler, Jimmy Butler, or a uh, uh, bubble Jimmy Butler when he did the uh, Hall oh, of Oates bit. No doubt. For- no oh, doubt, Light? Uh, no doubt. That was awesome. Oh, that was awesome. hundred percent. Or Michelob Ultra, I think. Yeah, it was. I think it was Michelob Ultra. No, it was a ten and a half. Who did the Hootie and the Blowfish one a couple years ago? Who was that that was in the commercial singing uh, "Only Want to Be with You" on the plane? God, I gotta remember who that was. was. It, was it Butler too? It like, he, that's what I think. He's done a couple of these. Hang on a second. Only want to be with. Look that up. Only want to be with you. Commercial NBA, and tell me who it was because I loved it. I thought it was perfect. And it was a it was a, a credit card. It was like it was Butler. Yeah, hundred percent. It was dude. He's the best. Hey, he's the best. That guy. I love that guy. I, we keep using uh, the Seinfeld stuff. Just give Jimmy the ball. Right. Give Jimmy wants the ball. Yeah. <laughs> so good, dude. So good. Jeremy Kahn is with us uh, from uh, the Big Bad Morning Show, 105.7 The Fan. ConcreteLocks.com. Yes, go ahead. Can I throw a non-sports thing to you real yeah, quick? Oh, I, you yeah, we, we got to get there anyway. We haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have not watched last night's episode, but you, I think you kind of nailed it with Barry. It went in a totally different Dude, direction. It's very dark. It's so dark. Like, the last couple of episodes they tried – I realized part of the problem was Noho Hank was missing, right? Like, yeah. And and they went in this very serious direction. Obviously, I don't want to give anything away to anybody that hasn't watched. They went in this very serious direction with Noho Hank, which makes no sense because he's everything. Like, he's the point of why that show worked was the Noho Hank character. So they yeah. they started teetering back to what made Noho Hank so good, and I love Fuchs as the Raven. Like, that's a, like, just the image of him all tatted up is a ten and a half. But mm-hmm. I don't Griffin brought something up to me. I don't know if you and I talked about this. Somebody somebody said they literally didn't know they were doing another season and wrote like Yeah, last, I talked to you guys you so told from me what I was that. told. Yeah. That makes all the sense. Yeah, I was the told that they, they didn't know like when they started filming the last season, they didn't know which direction they were gonna go in and they didn't know if they were gonna do another season after that. So they just wrote it, and then it was so popular that they were coming back for another season that they had to just come up with this brand new idea for how what direction they were going to take the show in. And and it, I think that's part of the reason why we're where we are. And it's not like I'm gonna was going to give up on watching it, but it's it's sad to me because it took away from what was one of the better comedies that still existed in television. Like we're 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 at a place where it's so difficult to consistently get good comedies. Like everybody's. Some some people have a lot of gripes about this season of Ted Lasso. I think for the most part, this season of Ted Lasso has very much held up, right? Like I think it's worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that they've done a couple of things that I thought were over the top, like pretending like there was a world where Ted Lasso, who's now coaching for three years, had never heard of Zava, was way over the yeah. top. Suggesting yeah. that Rupert would just like that th- th- this entire situation where suddenly Nathan goes from being the the manager of West Ham United to you know, like eating bonbons in his underpants, that's that's not practical, right? Like, that's not yeah. the way that this would work. But I get it, and it hasn't detracted from the stuff that still does work with Ted Lasso this season. Like, it still worked, even though maybe it hasn't been quite the same. I love when people are still attempting to make good comedies and tell good stories. And that's been the sad part about Barry to me this season, is the comedy is almost entirely missing. Like, in moments, yeah. the, the scene, you watched last night or not? I have not watched. I'm okay. going to watch that here this There afternoon. is one scene 
that delivers it like it it feels like a classic Barry scene last night. Okay. And it made me very happy. But it's one scene in the entire show that reminded me of what made for such a dark concept Barry so good as a comedy. And that's the depressing part to me is that there are so few comedies that I can look forward to that I think are quality. I'll I'll give like shows like American Auto a shot because like God bless them they're trying. But there's nothing actually mm-hmm. there. It's just sort of like pleasant background, you know, material. There's so few comedies that are intelligent and good at this point that that's what makes Barry the, the, this season of Barry so sad to me. Yeah, and, and there's something uh, for me like I love dark comedies. Right. Um, like I would even uh, uh, what's the um, God? Why can't I think of the name of the movie where all the people are dying and uh, and all the crazy ways the teenagers and. Um, God, the the like uh, it'll hit me in a second. All right, I'm, I'm, um, where the logs come off the back of the truck and kill. Somebody oh, Final Destination, and, uh, like, yeah, Final yeah, Destination. Thank you. Like that's not meant to be a comedy, but I laugh my ass off when I watch a movie I, like I that. I get it. I, yeah, I get it. I find it stupid funny, you yeah. know, like somebody dying that way. And I do like. I think there's a there's a there's room for a lot of dark comedy where I, I'd like to see more of it. It's just with this show, I'm almost. It's not a dark comedy. It's either dark or it's a comedy. I don't feel like you're getting, you know what I mean? I don't feel like you're getting both. Like this season seems yep. very dark. It's just dark. And I'm it's, okay with it. It's, it's just weird. It's right. Just- I'm still watching it. I'm still interested in where they're going. It's just sad because it's not a comedy. I actually wanted to ask you for parenting advice. That was on my list mm-hmm. of things to get to you today. So I have to, my, my older son is eight years old. There's a couple things that are driving me nuts, right? Like I don't know how to get a hold of him. I get it. You and I, we are, we can be quite silly. We're very silly people. I made a joke yesterday on the radio, by the way. I'm, I'm looking for a date to Blink-182, and I said, uh, but the good news is you don't have to put out unless, of course, it's Jeremy, in which case there's an expectation that he would put out. Like, I, we're silly people. I accept that all eight-year-olds are silly. My son, of course, is mm-hmm. going to be even sillier than that. But I can't get him to turn it off. Like, there's no ability... For me to be like, hey, dude, you're playing lacrosse now. Maybe focus a little bit and, like, you know, listen to your coaches and try and run and do all these. Like, all he can think about is what dumb butt joke he's going to make when his buddies come to the sideline with him. Like, that's all he's capable of doing. At what point do I have to say, hey, dude, don't get me wrong, pee-pee-poo-poo, very funny. How do I handle this as a parent that my 8-year-old will not stop just trying to be silly at all times. Now, are we going to talk about your other kid who is the problem child and yeah. not this one? Because I'm all in on this one. I like it. Yeah, pee pee, poo poo joke, yeah, right. nonstop. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. I had that real... is the hard part. Like, cause yeah. almost something like that in, in the way you raise your kids. Like, I, I don't want my kid to change his personality. Right. Like, I love that he's like that, but you also want him to realize that there's time to straighten up a little bit. Uh, where is he at school wise? So he is. He's, he's in third grade. Uh, no, he's in second Third grade. grade. Sorry, sorry. He's in second grade. And he's done well. Okay. Like, he's for the, you know, like every, he, he he's smart. He's, I, I, I just, it's the, I don't think he's got ADD. Like, I don't think it's that. I just think naturally. just got to let it run its course. Yeah. Like, because, be, again, like, the, the, your kids have great personalities. They're funny. Um, they get along for the most part, but they have that sibling rivalry, right? Right, right. And, and like, you know, that's kind of how it was with my kids. And it's, it's weird to see the different personalities that they both have. Um, they want, they're both just like me in so many different ways. Sure. Like Peyton's probably more like me that the, the people that 
or how people perceive me on the air. Like I'm outgoing. I talk to everyone. My other son doesn't talk to anybody. You know, he's very reserved. Um, they were both good athletes and they, they treat people kindly, but they're just, they're two polar opposites, you know, and sometimes you don't get to pick them that way. And I think that's one of the cool things about being the parent is having that black sheep because I was the black sheep of my family. And then it's, what do I do with my younger son? Who's, you know, so different than me, but so like me in so many ways. So I'd probably like, I'm not terrified. I, I, I think part of it is I get really frustrated that he's bad at lacrosse. Like I really hate that because I got to go out and watch the games anyway. And it's just spinning wheels, man. <laughs> like he is just, Did you out ask, there. does he like lacrosse? And I ask him all the time because his buddies play lacrosse. He wants to be out there with his buddies. Like I say, dude, we don't have to play lacrosse. Like we could try something else. We don't have to play sports, the whole thing. Nope. He wants to be out there because that's what his buddies are doing. And he wants to be yeah, able to I've go had a lot over. of kids like that that I've coached that they were basically along for the ride. The winning and losing of it didn't matter. Nope. Um, Not you know, they, they just wanted to be invited to the party. They wanted the end of the year party when we all get together. They preferred the practices over the games because everyone's playing, you know. And um, Yeah, I, I mean, some kids are just built different. I Again, like for me, like if I'm being dead serious and no jokes, I, I just kind of. I let it play out, and if it goes on for way too long, then you yeah. know maybe it's something where you have that conversation as he matures. But um, I like the people poo poo. But that's poo-pee, literally poo-pee, the entire poo-pee. reason he's there at lacrosse is to get the guys to the sideline so he can figure out what other combination of words he can use that involves butt. Like the number, hey, butt sniff, butt stench, butt. Like it's just unbelievable. I, I know you'd be proud. Um, I also give you. At what point do I worry about the fact that they, these a holes won't eat any? We. Of course, it's summer now, right? And so last night, I mm-hmm. get home from the radio show, and I say, let's grill. Let's grill. What are we doing? It's Sunday night. Let's sit around. I'll, I'll throw some burgers and dogs on, some sausage on the grill, some corn, because it's corn season. God, I love corn season around these parts. There's nothing better than that. I Like, let's have fun with that. I even stopped and got a watermelon on the way home, so we could have burgers, dogs, sausage, corn, and watermelon. Like, what more could you ask nice. for in the world? It's perfection. And these a-holes sit there and, like, he's just, I don't like watermelon. Like, what are you talking? You don't like watermelon? What is the point of life if you don't like watermelon? What is that? Yep. Corn. Corn on the damn cob that I will smother in Old Bay for you when you request it. And these a-holes won't eat it, and I don't know what to do about that. Like, I can't, I can't make it any easier than this. I'm not yeah. asking you do to you- eat liver. Do you get the, my belly hurts, or oh, I'm not hungry? They and run then, through the entire, the, I'm tired, it's cold. Yeah, the 45 it's, minutes later, it's like, oh, who wants ice cream? I do. Yeah, 100%, right? All of that stuff. I don't Yeah, I think it. they grow out of some of that eventually, but you're going to get a ton of that, man. man. My kids were the same way. Like, my, my, my one son, who's a less picky eater, hates, like, basic spaghetti. He's like, oh, I don't like it. But he'll eat pasta when we go out. Let's what? make it at home. I don't like it. And... So on top of it, they try to tell me, and I think you and I may have had this conversation, I may have done it on my show, like the different types of pasta, like from uh, rigatoni to angel hair, that it tastes differently, even Shut though it's made up. out of the same exact Shut product. Like up. the different shapes of pasta taste differently. I'm like, no, they don't. Wait, 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 stupid. You, uh, hang on a second. You mean still this is a thing that you deal with in your life? With my son, yeah, he, he says he doesn't like Shut regular up. spaghetti. Like he'll eat Alfredo or like a pasta dish. But he doesn't like your traditional tomato sauce and spaghetti, which I think is BS because I've seen him eat it multiple of times. Of course, it's but, BS. I'd have you know. to, uh, Jeremy. I, I'd have to kick him out. I'm sorry. I, I could not deal with that at some point. At that age, there's just no way. There's no way I could still deal. And with he's such my nonsense. left pick eater. He'll eat anything. Like you give him anything. That's the one thing that he, he. I don't like spaghetti. 
I, I don't, I don't, I, it's so, in, like, I get it. If I, if, if my wife makes something and it's in asparagus, I understand. I understand the protesting when it's certain things. We made burgers and dogs and corn and watermelon last night. Where was my invite? I'm sorry, Griffin. It was a last-minute decision. Okay. Also, uh, you would have been, at, I want to say, top 300 on my list of people who have invited last night. Thanks. Oh, nice. Yeah, right. You, you made the list. Yeah, correct. <laughs> There's some people that wouldn't have cracked the top 300. What, what is wrong with these a-holes? Did you hear my story about the uh, issue with the Prime Energy drink last week? No. Okay. So, Wednesday morning of last week, I, I, you have to wake up at 4 a.m. I don't have to wake up until 8 a.m. It's nice, right? At mm-hmm. 6 a.m., my wife comes into my room and shakes me awake like there's a, a fire, you know. She says, hey, Graham asked me to wake you up, my 8-year-old, asked me to wake you up because he can't find his leftover prime energy drink from last night and wants to know if you drank the rest of it. And at first, yeah. I was like, I, I don't know why because I was you know, not even awake yet. At first, my response was like, Dude, I just saw it last night. What the hell? Like, I like acted like it was serious, and then all of a sudden, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, what in the hell is this? Why are you waking me up right now? What? What? And I didn't know which. Well, I wouldn't... Wait until Daddy wakes up, to... and we'll ask him. No, I'll go wake him up right now. She did out. it. He requested it, and her response wasn't, "No, this does not require this. We'll deal with it later." Her response was. Okay, sure, we'll go wake him up to deal with this crisis. Jeremy, I S you not when I tell you that later that day, I opened the door of the refrigerator, and it was sitting right there in plain view. So not only did she go along with it, she didn't even bother going to open up the refrigerator to make sure. She just went and woke me up, and I don't know who I'm the I, – I don't know who to be the most mad about. Like, I don't know well, if you I should have done the, – the- I'll tell you what I would have done is I would have gotten up and I said, as soon as I find it, I'm drinking it because I didn't drink it last night. Right, and I would have right, drank it right, right in front of right my in front son. Of him, yeah. Saying, this, next time you wake me up, this get. is what happened. But I don't know, should I be angriest at my son who clearly gave a half-assed effort at looking, my wife for waking me up, or Logan effing Paul for getting my son addicted to this nonsense goop water? I don't know who I should be angriest at in this well, circumstance. I mean, that, you should always be angry at anybody with the last name Paul. I'm I mean, not opposed to that. Yeah, but, but you should definitely be angry at your wife. This is a, this is, this cannot happen. Like that's the one where I put my foot down saying, look, I'm okay with you asking me, but he could have waited until Correct. I woke up. Like, Correct. You, know, you don't wake me up for a question like that. Were you letting him drink this at six in the morning? Is that part of the plan? Is that you're having him drink prime energy with breakfast? <laughs> Not okay. Did you try it? Does it taste bad? I have, there's no chance I will try it. Zippy chance that I will try that product. God. But they are all, everybody on his lacrosse team, obsessed. They were oh so, so upset when we brought out Gatorade, when it was our turn to provide snack, because they're all obsessed with it. I was talking. Where's the prime losers? Yeah, that's where we're all. We like prime. God, and people. I have a friend who uh, runs a grocery store near me. He's like, "Dude, we can't keep it in stock." I'm like, "I hate, I hate this world. I hate it. This place is not for me." I, I'm with Rita now. I want the asteroid. I want it. it I'm done. I've been begging for that asteroid for years. Um, but the so with the prime stuff, do they come in like weird flavors? Yeah, that, apparently. That's not the new oh, thing with- oh, he was listing all of the pl- flavors for me. My son went through a list of like eight different flavors. Dude, every time I come home, that's he thinks it's like an accomplishment for the day. 
Like, you know how, like, your kids might be like, I got an A on a test. I, I come home, and my son, expecting me to be proud of him, is like, I tried Magic Marshmallow Prime today. <laughs> He's just trying all the prime drinks. Like, and he thinks he did nope. something. Like, he got, like, hey, dude, big day for your, your son. I bet you're going to be proud of me now, Dad. So which which company is it that's making the energy drinks that are like uh like warheads and Swedish fish and all that stuff like it's, that's not prime is it? Uh I don't think so. I don't know. Wait, wait Swedish what? There's a new energy drink that's like it's based off of some of like the sour candies and some of the other like candies they turned them into energy drinks. Oh god. I don't know what company's doing oh, it. I've just sounds, seen people drinking them left and right. That sounds awful. Oh god. Yeah. And they're big cans too. Like Why? you know, like when people talk about like Bang, like I, I, I like all of them equally. I mean, there's some that I don't like the flavors and I couldn't drink. I'm yeah. more of a I'd rather take the five hour energy shot, but I could take two of those and go right back to bed right now, so it doesn't matter. Do, do you? Um, okay, I was gonna say to to do mornings. Does it require you? Like, are you coffee or are you energy drinks? Both. Okay. So I take a five hour <laughs> energy every day and have two cups of coffee in the morning. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Right. So it's a big problem for me. Like I had a, a, a former PD that I didn't like. Mm. God, I've only had three, so mm. you can narrow it down. Boy. Um, but I'm pretty four. Have I'm, I had four? I'm pretty sure you like that guy. So I don't know. Oh, okay. I think I know who it would have been. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's an easy one if yeah. you yeah. Didn't know anything about me. But, yeah. but no, he, he always said that I didn't have enough energy on the shows that I was doing. He's like, you need to have more energy. And I'm going, what the hell do I have to do to have more energy? And it, it like cocaine. It became yes. personal for me where I started taking so many energy drinks to get ready for a night show, Jesus. just to make sure I was up and I didn't seem down. And it's when you Jesus. when you work by yourself, you like you don't realize those things sometimes. I thought it was total BS. I just thought it was something that he made up for me to work on. And now every time, like if I'm doing a, I did a Sunday show yesterday. Pop a five hour energy. I don't have coffee in the house because I don't drink it when I'm here. I drink it when I'm at work. Um, so like I'll ha- I'd have two cups of coffee there, but. It's, it's turned into something where that's what I do every single time now, where I'm just hammering energy stuff with drinks, shots, whatever. Um, but that's what I've kind of focused in on. Of course, uh, Jeremy actually tried taking the caffeine pills for a little while, but things got really scary because one night we found him at Zach's house and he was singing, I'm so excited. I'm so And I just scared. can't hide it. Anyway. That was just a really tough moment. Yeah, that was a Saved by the Bell. Um, but look, iconic the... Moment. the, the, the the other thing with the energy drinks, though, like there's so many different types out there. I've had, speaking of pills, my mom, one time I was driving, uh, I won a bunch of money on a Saturday and decided to drive out to watch the Colts play Indy. Okay. My ex-girlfriend was a Eagles fan and they were playing them. And I said, what do you think about just driving out to Indy right now and going to the game? Wow. They were playing Sunday night football. Wow. So I won a ton of money on Saturday. We did it. And my mom gave me one of her diet pills. I could not fall asleep. I slept an hour that day. So going really? on like 48 really? hours. I lay down and I was just, I could not stop shaking. I couldn't grip the steering wheel. Like my girlfriend actually had to take over and start driving. Uh, I said, what the hell did you give me? And that, by the way, that was after probably multiple Red Bulls and five-hour energies as well. I see, I was always, like drive. in college, I was a no-dose guy. Like that got me through, literally it got me through college. Well, that and, you know, blow. Yeah. Uh, no, I never did blow. <laughs> like, I wanted to be clear, I was never a blow. I was never into it. could never um, afford that. Yeah, correct. I wish. I wish I could have been a blow, man. Um, no, I, I got through college basically on Noto's. Like that was the play for me, but I, I've never been a coffee drinker. Like I, I, when I was like 13, I would go to like drink coffee with my friends because it seemed like the cool thing to do. And I hated it. Like I hated it. It was awful. I'd be like, why do you people like this? This is garbage. 
And so I've never, like, I've never in my life been a coffee drinker. And everybody asks when I was doing mornings with Drew, like, what do you do? I'm like, I basically, I fall asleep. That's like, what the way? Somebody would say, I, 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 you know, I couldn't believe you said that thing this morning. And I'd be like, it's good because I don't remember saying that thing this morning. <laughs> I, I mean, it is rough. The people yeah. that can do it without anything, I mean, I tip my cap to you because it takes a lot of, like, I guess getting accustomed to when you're going to sleep. Because yeah. that's the other thing. We're working a morning show and with sports, you never know what you're really going to stay up for. Yep. Like, yep. They're, they're, sometimes you'll try and you end up passing out. Like, oh, man, I can't believe I fell asleep watching the game. But there are other times that you'll plan accordingly and want to stay up for a 10 o'clock game and you're not going to make it. No, <laughs> so, no, no doubt. Know. All right. Uh, I know you said Rob's out for the week. What else? What, what's coming up on the show this week? Yes, yeah, Ed and I all week long. Um, we're obviously going to talk about you know, everybody's waiting for Lamar to show up. Um, but this uh, the, the Connect jerseys, the City Connect jerseys and all that that's going on. I, Rob I, uh, really likes it. Ed was indifferent until he saw the sleeves, and I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, it doesn't It doesn't do anything for me, but, like, I also do, I, I, I'm not remotely mad about it, right? Like, go, go beat yeah, the Rangers. I, that's all I care about. That's all I care yeah. is about the baseball and the field, man. And, and it's exactly. it's so cool to have a team that you're you're so passionate about, you're so excited to see. So, like, truth be told, I'd be fine if we talked to Orioles the entire week and no, nothing I get else. It. I but get I, it. I know that's not the case. No, I like I, I joked about this. I bought tickets to Blink One Eighty Two, and then for a second, I'm like, the Orioles play that night. <laughs> that's all. I'm going to be at the show on Friday night, watching the game on my phone the entire time. Like that. Are they how, this Friday? Yeah, they're this Friday. They're this Friday. So I have a choice. Uh, something I was going to say to you after I heard you talking about Blink One Eighty Two tickets. Um, I get to go to one of the. Uh, I, I meant uh, one of the next uh, couple concerts coming up down at CFG Bank. Um, and they offered me Blink-182, John Mayer, and Chris Stapleton, which ones I wanted. Ooh. And it's funny because I really want to see all three. I'd probably say John Mayer is my number one. Wow. But like, wow. I love all three artists. I would go in reverse order. I would go Blink only because I haven't seen them in so long. Okay. Stapleton, I, I, Stapleton I love the most out of that group, but like I just saw them not that long ago, so... I I I still might. There's still a possibility I end up going to that show when we get there. But like I, at the moment, I'm not planning on it. I I'm not gonna lie. I've seen John Mayer a couple of times. I just feel like like the soft John Mayer. I can't believe I'm gonna compare it like he was a rock and roll icon. Like you like hard John Mayer. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I, I like. That's what I thought. I, yeah. When I thought of Glenn, I thought he was more of a hard John Mayer guy. Oh God. No, I I just love John Mayer. Like I I. I, I think he's hilarious. I think he's just a great entertainer, and I love the music. And right. He can play so many different things, which is – and I wanted to see no, him I for years, it. and I, I never it. got I, to see him. I completely get it. Oh, God, I can't believe – can I tell you that we – so we, for Mother's Day we did it. We did a special show. We invited a bunch of athletes' moms on. So, like, Gunnar Henderson's mom called in and Cedric's mom called in, and we let Tyus's mom call in, and I swear That's to God. Cool. We said, hey, you got to give us an embarrassing story about Tyus that we can use when we do the show next season – and the first words out of her mouth were, Tyus is addicted to balls. What? <laughs> I swear to Like, you could hear him scream in the room, Mom! <laughs> and what she was trying to say is, like, he always, like, when he was growing up, he would, like, sleep with a football. He'd sleep with a basketball. Yeah. He was, like, so invested in sports. But the way that it came out was just so over the top that I said, I- like me loving i had the same affliction when i was a kid that's why i always slept with my uncle so but i don't know that's the same thing though it could be different jeremy con 1057 on twitter love you buddy we'll talk to you next monday love you guys i'll see you it's jeremy con with us here on gcr oh man uh proctor points all all points valid uh apparently his daughter is dealing with the exact same issue 
my belly's not hungry for dinner. It's hungry for snacks. I, I, Fair. Look, man, <laughs> but I understand that with certain things. Like, I understand their protests if she makes, you know, asparagus, spinach, even broccoli, right? Like, I love broccoli, but I do remember being a kid, mm-hmm. and broccoli's like, it's weird to look at. I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I can understand certain protests because I did the same thing when I was a kid. I was never excited about certain things. Like, if my mom made eggplant, I was not thrilled. I'm like, that just sounds gross. Watermelon! Watermelon and corn. Kids love corn. Remember? It's corn. Yeah. It has the juice. God! A-holes won't eat anything. It's a little harsh. No, they're a-holes. They're eight and five. I was, right? I was ready <laughs> to snap last night. I couldn't take it. I like and now I know because like my wife typically makes dinner, but when it's when it's, it's when we you know pull the grill out, I'm the one doing it. So I made dinner last night, and now it was personally disrespectful. <laughs> like now I was ready to just tell them they had to go sleep in the barn. Like I was so furious last yeah, I think night. That's what you got to do to, you know, God. turn them into well-rounded eaters. So, yeah. And that's the problem. It's a fine line for me between being a hard ass parent. or like, no, we have to break this now. Yeah. This is nonsense. And people be like, no, that's the way kids are. Like you got to let them be kids. F that. <laughs> that's the way kids are not eating watermelon, watermelon. When I was a kid, if someone came out with a watermelon, I could eat the entire thing. I hate this. Jerks. Jerks. All right. I mean, I'll try to defend them as much as I can. No, there's no defending that. Again, I'll defend them. I will defend them with certain things. But to the point, she'll make spaghetti, and it'll take them an hour to eat spaghetti. They love spaghetti. An hour. A-holes, man. I mean, I'll defend. I mean, some of these prime flavors also you do have Stop to it. try. Stop it. Meadow no, Moon. I'm going to. That's what it was. I was trying to think of marshmallow is what I think I said. There might be a no, marshmallow. No, one. I'm good. I'm good. Meadow I'll moon. never know. And that's quite all right. That is quite, unless, of course, they want to become a sponsor of this show, in which case, <laughs> big time prime guy over here. They oh, call moon. me Coach Prime. Coach Prime. Um, no, I am, uh, I am uh, never going to know. And that's totally fine. Totally fine. That'll be the thing that they're into that I never will be in. That's quite all right. There are lots of things that I was into that I'm sure. I don't think my father ever enjoyed a uh, Fruitopia passion fruit awareness. But when they passion put the Coke machines. Uh, dude. Fr- Fruitopia was like a soda, but it was juice. Oh, that's like, a real thing. It was thing. from the Coca-Cola company. And so they put, like when they brought, when they introduced soda machines in the high schools. Real oh. smart play there. And then they, they had the soda machines in high schools and we'd all get yelled at. For going and for having a soda, you, in class. you put the soda <laughs> machine in the school. Not I. It wasn't my choice. You did, Mister Radcliffe. I don't think it was his choice either. But the point being, how are you going to be mad at me that I have a soda when you're selling them? They'd always be like, "We'll hold on to your soda until the end of class." No, you won't. It'll be warm then. You jerk. But they had the uh, Fruitopias. Fruitopia was this like experiment that the Coca-Cola company did where it was like a juice soda. I don't know how exactly to describe it, but it was like a carbonated, like, it was it was a soda, but it was supposed to be a juice. It Ugh, was... Does not look good. It's not something that today I would ever this consume. neon blue. But uh, uh, I the passion fruit awareness was my go-to fruitopia, and I pounded those. I mean, 
like three a day. Oh I was God. having myself a oh time. Oh my gosh! And uh, I don't think old Tom Clark ever enjoyed a passion fruit awareness fruitopia. I don't think that one ever. That one ever crossed. I want to find a nutrition label on these. I don't think I would like to know that. Okay. I think I, I would mean, be. It looks like it's had to be at least sixty well grams said. of sugar. Practice. It was a non-alcoholic wine cooler. That's essentially what it was. Oh, it was so good. It was. I was sixteen-year-old Glenn Clark was the happiest he's ever been. <sighs> oh, Fruitopia. Fruitopia was a jam, man. We got to take a break. Yeah, <laughs> we, we it's 12, yeah. 12, 18. Take a break. You'll tell me about how much I was damaging my body, and then we'll get a tidbit and tube to wrap things up. Uh, today's show also brought to you by uh, your local Toyota dealer. Buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? A.J. Michaels. We do more, we do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles. Diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holiday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson. And Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com The All-America Senior Game powered by New Balance will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get. So get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers now and get $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after placing your first $5 bet. See this and other great sportsbook offers at PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Uh, congratulations to Brooks Kepka, who allegedly won the PGA Championship, and allegedly. all, all well, because the only thing anybody actually cared about was the dude uh, Michael Block, was the guy that was like a PGA pro who 
played literally in the round four of the PGA I Championship know. and hit a hole in one on the fifth. That's right. Yes, so that is true. I, I have nothing, literally no follow-ups on either one of those things. Just the, the thing that occurred over the course of the weekend. Congratulations to all parties involved. Uh, let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today by... This will be brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com slash contests, where right now you can go and register to win four tickets to all of the area's local minor league baseball teams, plus an Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder preloaded with $25 and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms in order to help you get around. Must be 18 or older in order to enter. Sweepstakes ends June 14th, and, of course, we're doing this in concert with a new print issue of PressBox, which is available right now for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms. That's an illustration of Jackson Holiday on the cover as we dive into the pipeline of talent that is still to come despite the uh, first group of guys getting to Baltimore. Go get that, and you only have a few more weeks left on this one, so make sure you do it now. Uh, From what I could tell, there have never been uh, two NBA Conference Final sweeps in the same same year. Do you have a report on uh, the the – nutritional elements oh yeah yeah so well i think it might actually be at least what it what it is now is 20 what did i say 25 grams of sugar Yeah, 25 grams of sugar in the fruitopia i'm actually i think it was 30 it looks like it might have been closer to 32 that that number seems low to me it does yeah apparently you could still get it somewhere i did i thought that they canceled the fruitopia experiment i thought that was once i went to people like just posting pictures of it it said like 32 seemed like the more more common average but they you know now like you know there's more information out. People Look, are man, like, we got to lower the sugar. At that content. time of my life, I enjoyed a lot of Fruitopia. I also enjoyed a lot of the surge drink that was surge. made as an answer to Mountain Dew, because we'd all been Mountain Dew fans. And then uh, the Coca-Cola company got jealous of all the attention that Pepsi was getting from Mountain Dew, so they tried to answer with a product called oh Surge. My gosh. And uh, yeah, that one definitely. You jumped right some, on board. Did some damage to me. The damage was done. Your old pal GC had a little bit of a rough stretch there. You find it a Burger King Coca-Cola freestyle machine? You can still get Surge? That's what? what it, that's what it looks like. Uh, that's wild. That's yeah, that's wild, what I'm saying. All right. anyway. I guess everything's still available guess. in, in some way, true. shape, or that's form. That's true. Um, anyway, this, the last Except time... Except these damn baked uh, Lay's uh, buffalo chicken sandwich chips that I'm trying to track down before Monday. Chicken sandwich chips. Buffalo chicken sandwich, sandwich. chips. John and Little Rock, get on it. Well, he's, oh, it. he's got... I know. He's Those look up. good. Yeah, he's not. I'm Those. really excited about that. I'm really excited. He's uh, John and Little Rock went to the old come and go, which I just, I'll never be old enough to not giggle, and found some Cajun dill pickle flavored chips, and that sounds unbelievable. I was a little sad. My buddy uh, Chad Dukes um, owns Commonwealth Dry Goods. I, I love like what he's doing with that, and I appreciate it. He He's a, a pickle aficionado and put out a pickle flavored beef jerky, and I said, my God, I have to have it. So I, sh- I had some shipped up. We tried it yesterday. It's it's good jerky, just not really the pickle flavors. Meh, meh, at best. Like, it's just not there. Last time we had two conference final sweeps, uh, at least in the NHL, was 1992. As far as we can tell in the NBA, I, have not, I haven't seen anyone say that there has been a, uh, a, a two, you know, at the, what's the word I'm looking for? Concurrent mm. sweeps mm. in the NBA finals. Uh, so we'll see. Or the conference finals of the NBA. I'm going to bet that they don't both finish a sweep. You don't think I so? I think Jeremy's right. I think the Lakers win the ninth. Okay. Yeah. I, I also do. I was thinking, yeah. if, I mean, this is. it seems like the Lakers have I think it's like a, a pride factor for them. Like, we're not going to be swept on our home floor. And the Nuggets, maybe now, having already won a game on the road, kind of know they have the series in hand. So they're not going to 
Like, if they fall behind by 12 points in the second half, they can kind of take their foot off the gas and just say, all right, we'll just go back to Denver and win the series there. There have only been two teams ranked last in points per game during the regular season to reach the NBA Finals, the 1964 Warriors and the 1956 Pistons. So you're saying the Heat the would join that? The Heat are one win away. And I'm, not su- like, I'm not surprised by that. It, yeah. It's last. I mean, <laughs> I'm surprised there have been two, frankly. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So Obviously, he, it requires you having an absurdly good defense or just being a wildly different team in the playoffs than you were in the regular season. Shohei Otani was once again masterful yesterday. He became the first Angels pitcher with 80 strikeouts in his first 10 pitching appearances of a season. Since Tungsten Arm? Not Tungsten and Tungsten Arm, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the other Angels pitcher uh, in 1978, uh, Nolan Ryan. Ah, I've heard of him. Pretty good company. Yeah, decent. As just, yeah, just, and who was only a pitcher. Right, correct. He didn't also hit home runs, right. correct. Matthew Tkachuk. It's Kachuk? Ch- Kachuk, yeah. Kachuk. Third player in NHL history to score an overtime goal in each of the first the two games. The son of the great uh, Keith Kachuk, if I remember Is correctly. Right? Yes. Of uh, first, first third yeah. NHL player. There we go. Third NHL player in history to score an overtime goal in each of the first two games of a playoff series and the second to do it on the road. Uh, the other... To do it on the road was Hall of Famer Maurice Richard of the Canadiens. And the Rocket Richard, yes. Rocket Richard in the 1951 semifinal. And by the way, Matthew Kachuk is indeed Keith Kachuk's son. Yeah, so the last time this happened was 1951, back when they didn't wear helmets. Uh, right. In, in well, I mean, it's not that long ago that they didn't wear helmets. That's true, yeah. <laughs> like, You don't have to go all the way back to 51. It's much... Like there was, because they they allowed players to be grandfathered into it. Like you That's actually right, for a few yeah, years yeah. got a choice as to whether or not you want to wear, <laughs> wear a helmet. And I try to remember who it was, but somebody kept lingering on. <laughs> to like in my life, in like modern times, there was a player who wasn't wearing a helmet. Like, well, I watched that occur as everybody else was putting helmets on. I just can't think of who it was. Hold on, let's see. Ron Duguay? No. Mm-hmm. Ryan O'Reilly? Who was the? Oh wait, no. This is no, this is visors. NHL player to not wear a helmet. Craig McTavish. There it is. In the 1996-97 wow. season. Wow. Yeah, that's not that long ago, dude. That's 26 years ago. He's like, I get it. Like for you, that's your life. Like I understand you didn't, but I was 13, 14 years old at that point <laughs> watching a dude skate around not wearing a helmet playing ice hockey. It's insane. Uh with four rebounds uh the other night, all oh, that was all he needed. Jokic uh became the second player in NBA history with 2000 points, 1000 rebounds and 800 assists in a single se- in single season including the playoffs. He joins the Big O, who did it in 1961-1962. Sounds about right. Only two players to ever do that. Um, And Carmelo Anthony, of course, announced his retirement. He ends his basketball career as the second uh, U.S. Olympic scorer scorer all time with 336 career points in the Olympics. I'm kind of surprised there's only number two. I know. He is only. Yeah, he he was number one for a while, and then this guy passed him. Um, Uh, I want to see if you can name the top ten. Olympic, uh, U.S. Olympic scores. U.S. Olympic scores. Top 10. Might as well do. I mean, I got a are, list. Are of they top all 10 from here. the NBA era or are there yeah. any that predate uh, yes. 92? Yeah, they're okay. all from the NBA era. So. Uh, all right. Um, Doable list. Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is eighth on the list. Try to get number one here. Okay, I'll do my best to try to get. You asked for the top 10, yeah. jerk. All right. um, you know what? In order. Sure. I'll just do it in order because this is definitely a thing that people would know. Uh, uh, LeBron. LeBron is number three. Okay. 273. Because last, last Olympics he played in was 2012. K- Kobe. Kobe. Did he only play in 08? On, yeah, yeah. He yeah. He's not 08? on this list. Okay. Kobe Bryant. Um, 
who would have played in 92 that came back and played in 96? Now I got to work that way. Uh, boy, that's tough. David Robinson. David Robinson is fourth on this list. Well, did he also maybe play in an Olympics before that? He played in 88, yeah. Yeah. So you were a liar is what you were saying because you said oh, it was well, all 92 and beyond. I asked oh, okay. Then, uh, yeah, I guess there's yeah. one other yeah. guy. There's one other guy? Two other guys, sorry. Uh, but they were also Proctor wants Bird, Mag- Bird, Michael, and Iverson. I don't he only got one of those. Which Iverson? Uh, no. Michael, because Michael. Did he yeah. play in another Olympics? He played in '84. Oh yeah, yeah, he did play in '84. That's right. All right, I was gonna say I He's thought he only played in '82. So you got Melo, LeBron, David Robinson, Jordan. You're still missing number one. Um. Um. Boy. How about – I would have assumed it was Melo. That's why I'm really struggling right. with this. Uh, how about – wow. Uh, uh, all right, stop, stop, okay. stop, stop, stop. I'm just going to start guessing names again here in a second. Kevin Garnett. Not Kevin Garnett. Garnett, not on the list. Paul Pierce. Not on the list. Ray Allen. Not on the list. Maybe they, did they not play in as many – this is the yeah, problem is i got to think of the dark years. Um – Still, shut up. Okay. okay. God. God. Uh, how about Durant? Kevin Durant is number one. He's number one. He is number one. Played in twelve, sixteen, and and twenty twenty, the twenty twenty one Summer Olympics. Four hundred thirty five uh, career points for Durant. Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen is tenth on the list. So he counts. Somebody's on the list. Yeah. Played in 92 and 96. Who else would have played? And that's what I'm trying to figure out is who from the 92. Did Barkley play in another one? Barkley. He did, yep. Charles Barkley, 231. He is sixth on this like list. I like that's what I'm missing is guys from the 92 team that came back mm-hmm. and played in 96 again. But Shaq wasn't on the 92 team. He was only on the 96 team. Correct. So not Shaq. <sighs> so we have two more. Carl Malone. Carl Malone is on the list. He is ninth and seven on this list. He played in 92, and then he played back in 1984 as well. Oh, I got to go the other way. Yeah. Oh, that, might be, that might be a little <laughs> bit much to ask. Uh, did we say Magic? Uh, magic wouldn't have been. Yeah, it was not Magic because that, that was uh, yeah. It's not Magic. And Isaiah Thomas obviously didn't play in 92. Uh, I said Pippen. Reggie wasn't on the 92 team, was he? Reggie? Reggie? Uh, it's not Reggie. Was he on the 92 team? I guess he had to be on the 92 team, right? 1992 Olympics. Who else was on the 92 team? Uh, Patrick Ewing? Not Patrick Ewing. Played for the, uh, he was drafted by the Warriors in 1985. Drafted by the Warriors in 1980. Oh, Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen is seventh on this list. 196 in the uh, Olympics, oh, playing in 92 and 84. All right, very good. We got to wrap up. We got to yeah. go. It's 12:32. I hate this. Um, what are we doing here? AJ Michaels brings us tubular. AJ Michaels, expert and award-winning. AJ Michaels, heating, AC, plumbing, and home performance will improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. AC season is here. New rebates and discounts are available. More AJMichaels.com. Here's what's coming up. Totally tubular wise. Uh, Nuggets Lakers game four on ESPN 8:30. As the Nuggets try to sweep out the Lakers, Game 3 in the NHL's Eastern Conference Finals, Hurricanes-Panthers, 8 o'clock on TNT. 
Giant Twins, 730 on FS1. Red Sox Angels, 930 on MLB Network. Athletics Mariners, 930 on ESPN+. Plus. USA Felesta and Newcastle United at 3. And then WWE Raw at 8. Some non-sports by chance? Not really. White House Plumbers, new episode on ah, HBO. Yes. And uh, Apple TV Plus Prehistoric Planet Season 2. Okay. We're trying to. I'm trying to figure out. I. I. am trying to figure out what's going to happen. So last night was the penultimate succession. Yes. And it's it's pointed in a direction that I just don't believe for a second that it's actually going to go. But I can't figure out what direction it is going to go. And my buddy Barstool Banks put out a theory last night, and I'm very afraid that he's right. Mm. And I want to talk about it, but I can't talk about it because that's not the way that the world works. You're not allowed to talk about these things. But at some point, I would like to discuss it this week. So, guys, watch Succession, and, and then I'm going to talk about All it. Right, I'll catch up real quick. Yeah, you got to power I'm only, through. I'm only four seasons behind. Get through it. You got time. <laughs> get get on it right now. Thanks today to Saul Cuman, uh, co-owner of National Treasure, former Hopkins lacrosse player. Thanks also today to Greg Olson and to Jeremy Conn. We'll get it all up in the greatest hits section of the Oh, my God, it's so good. Tab at glennclarkradio.com. Anything? Patrick Stevens. Oh, good. Patrick Stevens will join us. We'll preview the uh, lacrosse Final Four and stuff and things uh, coming up tomorrow. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including uh, A.J. Michaels, Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, Casa Sin, All-American Lacrosse, Birdland Sports, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Monday evening. Go nobody. Duke sucks.